You're listening to Review and Preview on Facebook Live. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Welcome to Review and Preview. I'm your host, Tom Scavetta. Joined alongside Kyle Russo, joining me here tonight. No James Montefusco. Remember, you can watch our podcast live here on Facebook at our page at Review and Preview Sports. Subscribe to us on the anchor, anchor.fm slash review and preview. Two-hour show tonight. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram, too, at Review and Preview. Our special guest tonight, Kyle is our former co-host, Fonz DeFalco. I'm really excited to have him on preview that week three Kansas City Chiefs, Baltimore Ravens tilt action pack show for you. Yeah, definitely going to be a fun and exciting show. It's been about a month now, maybe a little more than a month since we've had Fonz on the show. So definitely excited to hear his voice, see his face back on review and preview once again. Definitely going to be exciting. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to have fun, folks. If you have any fan questions or comments throughout the course of the night, feel free to comment here, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. So we're going to start off talking about the NHL playoffs. Then we'll get some NBA. Then we'll talk about the Mets and the Yankees, uh, the Giants. Then we'll have our team of the week followed by Fonz, and then the rest of the show. We're also going to have our week two quick picks loser, who will be announced right as he joins um, it is either James or Gabe. It is not you or I. If you're looking for a sneak peek of that, we kind of revealed it on social media for you so you can get that news there. Definitely looking forward to it. All right, Kyle. So Edmonton Oilers captain uh, Leon Dreisaitl wins the 2020 MVP for the NHL, the Ted Lindsay Award. Edmonton was a team this year that they were really good in the regular season, but once the restart happened, uh, not so much. They were unable to advance. I'm pretty sure they got ousted by the Chicago Blackhawks, if I'm not mistaken. So overall, it was definitely very disappointing for them. Uh, But as we look in here, we want to recap the series, the Eastern Conference Finals, with your New York Islanders against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, the Lightning won the series 4-2. They won it in six games. It was not easy for them, though. The Islanders gave them a run for their money as Tampa Bay won the series 2-1 to one in overtime, advancing to their first Stanley Cup Finals since 2015. Uh, Anthony Sorelli with the game-winning goal in OT. Kyle, thoughts on Game 6 and the heartbreak for New York Islanders fans? It, it, was, it was rough. I'll tell you this, it was rough. Uh, Devontae scored early. About a minute and a half later, I believe Victor Hedman put one on the board, and then it was a quiet game, neck and neck throughout. The Islanders were quiet. When it came to shots on goal throughout the game, but Varlamov just had the game of his life. James brought up an excellent point. I believe this game was on Thursday. So the show um, a couple weeks ago on Wednesday, James, or a week ago on Wednesday, James brought up a great point. He said, if the Islanders lose, so be it, but leave it all out on the ice. And that's what Varlamov did. Had 46 saves, I believe, in this game. Just an unbelievable performance. Uh, just struggled to really get the offense going. Uh periodically and you know we saw that throughout this entire bubble scenario for the islanders where they started off hot and they cooled down a little bit allowed teams to catch up a little bit and that's what happened and sorelli ends it in overtime which is just a a crushing defeat if you've seen the goal it was it was 
literally an inch away from not being a goal. It was just literally, it was a heartbreaker. It was an absolute heartbreaker. But as an Islanders fan, you have to be happy with the success in which they've had this season. Um, you know, they were missing their best defenseman and Adam Pellick in this game. Uh, I attribute that to a lot of the reasons which Farlamov had to face as many shots on goals in which he did uh, in this game. So hopefully with a healthy team and potentially some new additions in the offseason, the Islanders can be right back in this spot uh, come next season, whenever that does take place. We will see what happens there. Quick shout out to them. Um, a valiant effort from both goalies in that game. Now, the Stanley Cup final. We've had a little um, lull in the play from game two to game three, which will be tonight. Game two, I want to say, was on, it was over the weekend, I think, right? Um, I believe it was on Monday. It was either Monday or Sunday. Okay, so game one was Saturday, game two was Monday. Yep, that makes sense. So, Stars won game one. Actually, uh, up in Rockland at BJ's Brew House watching game one. Um, nice little place, Kyle, if you ever check that area out. Um, <laughs> first Stanley Cup Finals appearance since the year 2000 for the Dallas Stars. And what's freakier is they actually won one Stanley Cup as a franchise the year before. Yeah. Uh, back in back in 2000, I believe they faced off against the New Jersey Devils, the uh, Marty Bavor, New Jersey Devils, yep. and they wound up losing in that series. My uh, one of my neighbors, a couple blocks down, is actually a Devils fan, so he, he likes to pick on me and my brother for rooting for the Rangers. But um, Kyle, this is a very similar feel to last year's finals, not in terms of all the upsets that have happened um, in the playoffs, but more as the team that's here and how they got here. I'm talking about the Western conference team and the Dallas stars interim head coach and Rick bones has not been a head coach in this league since 2004. Great to see him get the job for next year. Kadobin uh, has been fantastic in these playoffs. I believe he was a backup goalie and now he's pretty much their starter. Yeah. Bishop was the starter, but because he entered uh training camp, or I guess you'd say re-entering the bubble, he entered injured. Uh, Kadobin wound up getting the start, and uh, I don't think he's seen the bench since. Maybe one game Ben Bishop has appeared, but other than that, Anton Kadobin has been the starter for this Dallas Stars team. Well, you see the correlation I'm making here. Last year we had uh, yeah. Jordan Bennington. I was over midway through the season back in uh, January of 19 and uh, just took the league by storm and turned around the entire season for the Blues, wound up coming home with the Stanley Cup. And it, it does give off this type of vibe that they – What's interesting about the Stars team is that they don't have, no pun intended, they don't have all these names. They don't have all these stars. Like you look at the Tampa Lightning, you look at one of the best goalies in all of hockey and Andre Vasilevsky. You look at Victor Hedman, one of the best offensive defensemen uh, in all of hockey as well. Uh, on top of the fact, you got Braden Point, who's been on fire, Andre Palat, uh, Sergachev, uh Stamkos, when he comes back, potentially can be a huge threat offensively. The list goes on and on. Tyler Johnson, this Tampa team is loaded. Ryan McDonough on the defense, he's been fantastic. They're loaded, but Dallas is keeping it tight through two games so far in this series. It's been really crazy. But back to game one for a second, I want to say uh, it was tough because Kadobin had 22 of his 30 saves in that third period, Kyle. Uh, the Lightning, actually, they outshot Dallas in this game. 
but they got goals from Hanley, Oleksiak, Kervanta, and Dickinson. Three unanswered goals for the Stars after being tied at one. They ended up taking a 4-1 to victory, and Goudreau was really good defensively for Tampa Bay. But game two, different story. The Lightning, they come back and win 3-2. to Common theme in these playoffs for them has been Braden Point with a lot of game winners. Uh, he had a goal along with Andre Palat. The Lightning, they actually, they took a 3-0 lead heading into the second period. Then Pavelski had a power play goal in the second, and then Janmark scored a goal in the third, but it wasn't enough. The Stars, I think their lack of being able to fully utilize the power play hurt them in this game, going one for five, and that leads us to game three tonight. So any predictions you got, Kyle? I'm, I'm really excited for this game three. It's 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 really a toss-up between these two teams. It really could go either way. I'm going to roll with the, the Tampa Bay Lightning with this game. Uh, I think they got their heads back on straight after that game one. I, I mean, Dallas really set the tone. Game one, putting up four goals on them in the first game. Obviously, Dallas had a longer period of rest than Tampa had, but still. Uh, and now they you, you saw the way they played three straight goals in the first period to put up 3-0 and then – basically hold Dallas to a point final score of three, two. I'm going to take Tampa in this game, Tom. Uh, I'm going to ride the lightning. I'm going to ride the lightning. Interesting. I'll go Dallas to make it interesting. I think the stars, they kind of not manhandled Vegas in that series, but they took it to them as where Tampa Bay just squeaked by New York. I think uh, the stars have a little bit more of an advantage in that department, but uh, the lightning are battle tested as well. You know, they've gotten upset threats throughout the entire playoffs and, you know, they've played more recently than Dallas uh, at the start of the series, but that's not really a factor in game three anymore. But it'll be interesting to see what happens. Um, yeah, so that was the NHL playoffs for you there. Now we're going to get into the NBA playoffs block B. So we're going to switch gears here. Uh, according to Adam Silver, he says next season will likely start in 2021. Makes a lot of sense because. We're a week away from October, and we're still in the conference finals. The NBA finals will not be over till October. And then, you know, between the combine, the draft, the free agency period, there's just so many moving parts. Kyle, I think it's very difficult to come out and say that uh, the NBA is going to be ready to start by, like, late October, mid-November. It's just not going to happen. So I think 2021 is a much – I was hearing, like, around Christmas time at first, but I think January is – by far, just the better option. Yeah, because I think they made it official that the the NBA draft will take place, I believe, November 16th or 18th. I think they've made that official. So that would henceforth give those new uh, up-and-coming players a month to get acclimated with their own teams and then start hopefully come January 1st at the earliest. Uh, but that should be the expected time at this point in time. I, do I expect that to happen? I personally don't know. You know, we'll see what happens over the course of the next couple months. But, you know... Hopefully the way that the NBA handled it, they're able to duplicate. I've heard rumors that they're not planning on having another bubble scenario. They're planning on each individual team playing games at their own stadiums. And Adam Silver even went to the extreme and saying that fans could be in attendance. So I, I guess they've seen what the NFL has been able to accomplish, and they feel like they could do the same now that the coronavirus has taken uh, – uh, definitely a lesser uh, harmfulness, lesson, uh, lesser approach than what had happened when the NBA revitalized the season back in uh, early July when the coronavirus was still 
at the time at the forefront, not that it's not now, but even heavier than it was uh, back then. Mm-hmm. That's a good point you brought up too. Um, I'm really excited for the draft. We actually plan on doing some type of uh, um, display for the NBA draft. I don't know if we're going to have a show yet on draft night, but we're, we're going to figure something out and get um, that to you. Uh, Billy Donovan announced as the new head coach of the Chicago Bulls. I happen to love this hire. I think Jim Boylan was more of a short-term answer. I think the players will buy in to more of what Billy Donovan is going to do, considering this is such a young team with a lot of talent. And I think the Bulls are not that far off from the playoffs. I think they need a leader, a head coach that's done it. Billy Donovan brought the thunder almost to the conference semis this year. They they almost beat Houston, which is a really tough team in the Western Conference. The fact that the Thunder, they were able to hang around as long as they did, I think it speaks volumes to Billy Donovan as a head coach. Yep. And forget about the the playoffs and the bubble scenario as a whole. Just think about it back when the season started. Remember, they had just traded Russell Westbrook. They had just traded Paul George. Everybody was counting the Thunder out and calling them a 13-12 seed in the Western Conference. And gave them absolutely no chance. And like you said, Tom, they were one game away from facing the uh, the LeBron L.A. Lakers. And me personally, I thought that that matchup was going to be a lot more interesting uh, than the outcome in which we had seen versus the Rockets versus the Lakers. I thought that the Thunder would have been a much better matchup, but henceforth they weren't able to get forward in that series. But Billy Donovan is fantastic at developing players. We saw the, the step up that Shy Gilligas Alexander had this year. He became a fantastic player the way – that he was able to use Chris Paul and run the offense. Um, the way he was able to bring in guys like Dennis Schroeder off the bench, he was competing for six man of the year. I believe he finished third. He's got a nice group of guys to work with. Wendell Carter Jr. Hopefully gets healthy. Zach Levine, Laurie Markinen, uh, Chris Dunn, Kobe White can potentially be the starting point guard now. And and a decent draft pick this year. I believe they have a, a sixth overall. So I'm very lo- much looking forward to Billy Donovan leading this Bulls team. Agree with you 100%, Kyle. Now let's get into your Miami Heat. I know you're on edge here. You're on eggshells walking around your house today or in in school because the Miami Heat, they do play game four tonight, uh, finally, after a couple days off. So in this series, we left off at game one last week. Miami was up 1-0. I think that was happening. might have been happening live or the day before our show last week or right around that time. Yeah. Uh, So the Heat won game two. Not convincingly, but they squeaked another one out. Goran Dragic was great. He's been great for you guys all playoffs. I'm pretty sure he was the leading scorer again for Miami in this game. And then Duncan Robinson with the six threes. I mean, that right there, role players stepping up, putting down buckets, Kyle. You can't ask for anything more. No, what's interesting about this team and what I keep on reading, what I keep on analyzing myself and and coming to the uh, conclusion is that with the Miami Heat, if you watch them closely, every single game in which they played in this series, they've had a tremendous deficit. Game one, they were down 14, came back and won. Game two, they were down 17, came back and won. Game three, they were down by 20 and fought all the way back until they just couldn't hit any shots uh, come the last three minutes, two minutes of the fourth quarter and just had to send Marcus Smart to, I believe, eight consecutive made free throws or nine consecutive made free throws by him, and that kind of knocked the game off. Uh, in the Celtics' favor. But what I've noticed with this team, Tom, is that the Heat could play bad shooting-wise, and they still have a chance to win. With this Celtics team, from what I've been able to witness, whether it was with the Toronto series or whether it was with Miami Heat so far, 
they pretty much have to play a perfect game in order to beat this team offensively. You look at the struggles in which the Miami Heat had, especially in this Game 3 loss. Goran Dragic shot 2 of 10 overall, missed a bunch of threes. Jay Crowder shot 2 of 10 from the three-point line. Tyler Hero shot 8 of 18, I believe. Kelly Olenek didn't make a basket all night, 0 of 6 and 0 for 4 from the three-point line. These things are just not going to happen with the Miami Heat. You know, they, you caught them on a bad night, and you won. Not that Boston's a bad team, but the Miami Heat, a team that's the second-best three-point shooting team in the entire NBA, I believe shot 28% from the three-point line. That's most likely not going to happen again. And that's where the Celtics really need to step up, because if you analyze this team and the shots in which they put up, they were efficient maybe with the exclusion of Jason Tatum who shot 9 of 20, but everybody else pretty much had a perfect game. And yet they were still, the Miami Heat fight neck and neck up until that last two, three minutes in that fourth quarter. This is going to be, in my personal opinion, I think this is a must win for a must win for the Boston Celtics tonight. I think this is a must win for them. Obviously, I'm rooting for the Miami Heat to take 3-1. But this is a must win for Boston just to kind of set that tempo. Now with the addition of Gordon Hayward, a solidified six-man off the bench. You know, me and you were talking about it, Tom, that he may not bring that offense to the table, as we saw in his first game back, played 30 minutes, had six points, five rebounds, four assists. I believe he had three steals and a block or something like that. He's a cleanup guy. He does a lot of things all around the court when he's putting in minutes. You don't have to count on him for points, but you can count on him to do uh, to have defensive plays, and that's what he did. That's what he did, and that's why they stayed in this game. Yeah, and not to mention he missed the birth of his own child to remain in the bubble and play I don't for the believe, Celtics. I don't believe his daughter has been born yet, or his son has been born so yet. he's he, missing. He plans, he plans on missing it if it yeah. does happen. He plans on missing that. But uh, listen, I, some people knock it. I guess that's dedication. Dedication because he, he truly believes that this Celtics team could go far. The biggest thing for me, Kyle, is um, Tatum, Brown, and Walker, those three. Those three got to continue to – have games like they did in game two, smart with 20 points, Tatum with 25 and then Brown with 26 and Enos Cantor is finally getting minutes. A guy who, uh, you know, played in the conference finals last year for the Portland trailblazers. And he was really good. I thought Uh, he should be getting more minutes, especially gives them an offensive boost, more of a liability on the defensive end. But I think you'd rather have him than Robert Williams in there right now, only because of Robert Williams inexperience and he's basically another version of Ennis Cantor, except a lot younger and maybe a, a little more seasoned defensively. But at the end of the day, uh, you know, you're right. Game four might be a must win tonight for those Boston Celtics. I know I agree with you. I have Miami advancing to the NBA finals. I just think that overall they are the team to beat in the East. I mean, they beat the best team in the East. Yeah. So I think, Realistically here, the Lakers are going to be awaiting one of these two teams, but not so fast. Let's get to the Lakers in the Western Conference Final. Lakers and Nuggets. So the L.A. Lakers lead the Denver Nuggets 2-1. to one. Game four will happen tomorrow evening. So LeBron was not so happy that Giannis Antetokounmpo won MVP so convincingly this year for the NBA. LeBron had 16 first-place votes. He was the only person outside of the Greek freak to even get one first place vote. Uh, So that being said, look, I mean, I think Giannis being MVP, we're basing it off the regular season. It was well-deserved. I mean, he did did have the best team. I I still thought that Giannis was going to win, but I'm, I'm in agreement in the fact that LeBron getting such 
minimal votes. It would have been nice to see him finish around with 40 or something like that. But to just, I mean, LeBron James, you got to remember, he's 34, 35 the yeah. time, and he led the league in assists. And you got to remember the team that he's playing on. The only option in which you could really count on is Anthony Davis. So for him to lead upon that, still average the amount of points that he has, and he's actually been shooting more efficiently overall as he ages. Right. Absolutely incredible. Obviously a more, on top of the fact, just a more versatile player than Giannis, as we saw in this Miami Heat series where he was mainly a paint player, didn't have that shooting aspect to his game. So I see what you're saying, but remember, Giannis won MVP last year, and he improved in every category and got better from last year. If we're talking about the regular season, that's why I personally think he deserved it over LeBron. I think there's an argument maybe LeBron could have gotten some more votes. Yeah, but I think Giannis definitely deserved to win it again based off his performance. And remember, the Bucks' role players are very hot and cold. They're the most Jekyll and Hyde type of bench in the Eastern Conference, in my opinion, because there's some nights they show up, there's other nights that they don't. And when we spoke with Dan Pfeiffer about a month ago, you know, he was bringing that point up, how Milwaukee's bench is just question marks written all over it. It's it's a mix sprinkled of old guys and young guys. But anyway, let's get back to um, the Lakers-Nuggets series. So game one, Lakers win convincing fashion. AD blows up for 37 points. Uh, and then LeBron very low scoring game went 15 and 12 still very efficient uh from the field and then Contavious Caldwell Pope this is what you need a role player who's going to get you points and not put so much pressure on LeBron to go out and score 30 every night anymore because it's not as easy for him to do that at 35 as it was 25 yeah. so if you have shooters like Danny Green Contavious Caldwell Pope uh Alex Caruso that's really beneficial to your bench. And I think really adding um, Markeith Morris was fantastic for them as well, in addition to um, who's the other really good bench player they have. Uh, I can't think of him at the moment. Kyle Kuzma. Kyle Kuzma, yes. Hank and Dichter. Hello, Hank. Uh, I can't take away the Giannis MVP. It's deserved, obviously, but LeBron definitely deserved more consideration. You, my friend, Henry, are 100% correct uh thank you very much for your comment hank uh tomorrow 7 to 8 p.m hank and myself will be co-hosting the big blue avenue with our special guest caitlin leonard of the bear down girl podcast really looking forward to having her on she is a one smart cookie so make sure you're tuned into that kyle that's going to be very interesting Um, but look the biggest flaw for denver in these playoffs and why they've gotten down early on in each of their series is because the nuggets do not have an elite supporting cat. Well, I shouldn't say elite, but they don't have a productive supporting cast that will fill in holes left consistently by Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic. I think we saw it more in games two and three, Kyle, but in game one, it wasn't there. Uh, What do you think was the biggest difference for Denver from yesterday to the first couple of games? I think the biggest difference is that they've just been that comeback type of team where they're, they never roll over and die. They're just that team that you always have to give. You know, we were talking in this series that, you know, we still think that the Lakers are obviously going to come out victorious, but Denver might win a game or two, if not more. It might go to game seven, potentially. That's the type of spirit that they play with down 2-0, um, having a crushing defeat, absolute crushing defeat in game two. I believe the stat that I heard uh, today was that Anthony Davis had missed 
the last eight or ten three-point attempts that he had up until that game winner in game two. And that takes that takes a that takes a toll on a team. And they came out firing. They came out firing yesterday. And they I believe the biggest lead in which they had was a 20-point lead, or maybe a little bit over 20 points, against this LA Lakers team that's just been dominating each and every game in which they played in the bubble so far. It was very impressive, but you know, come the fourth quarter, it was a little scary for them. I'm not going to lie. It was a little scary. That 20-point deficit just flew away. I believe the Lakers got within three points. And it was really interesting to see why that happened because they were letting LeBron James, you know, as we talked about previewing this series before it even happened, we said two things. One, Jokic was going to have to stop Anthony Davis, knowing that that might not actually happen. And it has yet to really happen. Anthony Davis has averaged around 30 points. And you have to prevent from Le- you have to prevent LeBron from driving the paint. Mm-hmm. I believe he did that three or four consecutive times in the fourth quarter, and they got within three points. And the reason in which the Lakers aren't sitting here three zero today is because for some reason, after they got within three points, I believe they took three four consecutive three pointers on their four their three next possessions. When they're a team, Tom, that we know can't hit threes, they can't hit threes. They don't have a sharpshooter, if there's a weakness to this Lakers team, aside from the fact that they don't have a solidified third option, they don't have any shooters. They brought in JR. He doesn't get any minutes. Alex Caruso, you can't count on. I believe he went 0 for 4 from the three-point line the other night. You can't really count on Marcus Moore. You can't really count on KCP. And Danny Green, I don't even have to start on Danny Green. We already know the answer. In fact, Danny Green only shot three-pointers last night, and he's the guy that's supposed to be shooting threes. Yep. And he only made one of them. Kyle, the Nuggets should be up two to one in this series right yeah. now. Yeah. It took a game winning three point buzzer beater from Anthony Davis for the Lakers to just even be ahead in this series. I think the Lakers um, are very lucky that the Clippers did not advance because I would guarantee you the Clippers would win in six, maybe seven games. Um, LeBron was better in game two than game three. Uh, but again, uh, look, you cause 19 turnovers, Denver's not going to win with that. They almost did, but they didn't. Um, I think Michael Porter Jr. has been that third guy for Denver. I just think the Lakers are way too experienced for Denver right now. Although last night when Denver won, LeBron James did get his 26th career playoff triple-double. So, again, if it takes that to win – it just it just tells you something. These other role players need to step up for the Lakers, and Denver is doing a good job of draining the Lakers out defensively, and that is how they're still alive in these 2020 NBA playoffs, Kyle. They probably have, I'm going to be honest with you, um, probably the second-best defense in the West behind the Clippers yeah. uh, all season long. And I would agree. But the reason behind this this – this Lakers lost Tom, when you really look at it, Anthony Davis, JaVale McGee and Dwight Howard had a combined four rebounds in this game, mm-hmm. four rebounds. Those are six, 11, six, 10, seven foot guys that should each be getting you at least eight, if not 10 rebounds a night with the amount of minutes in which they're being given. And you combined for four rebounds. They were just getting out rebounded offensive rebounds. Jerry, uh, Jerry, uh, Jeremy Grant, Last night really had like a coming out party. I believe he dropped twenty six points last night. Yeah, he was fantastic. Yeah, that was that's that piece in which they've been looking for. Paul Millsap had himself a nice game. Michael jo- Michael Porter Jr. has been consistent 
Nicole Jokic and Jamal Murray. Caught yourself. <laughs> Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray's been feeling himself in this bubble. He 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 was hot in that fourth quarter. He was hitting threes from 35 feet out. He, that's that's another thing about this Denver team that they play with a lot of spunk. They have no fear. Even down in a 2-0 situation after a heartbreaking loss, they have no fear and still take shots like that in a fourth quarter situation and when you're only up by around three, five points, which is insane because that's the type of confidence that superstars, legends, veterans play with. These guys have only been in the league for around four or five years now. Agree with you totally, 100%. Game four will be tomorrow night. It's going to be interesting to see who takes the edge in this series if the Nuggets are able to tie it up. Moving on, we're going to talk about the New York Mets, who are currently in progress. They head to the second inning against the Tampa Bay Rays with no score. So if you like baseball, you're in for a treat. We have a lot for you tonight. The Mets are 25-30. and 30. They are fourth place in the National League East, and um, – What's crazy is that the Mets are still in the mix for playoff spot. Uh, they can't be eliminated until Friday, I'm hearing, uh, earliest. So that's crazy in itself. They're, they're going to have to win at least three games to even have a shot at getting in. I think winning yesterday against Tampa Bay helps them out a little bit, considering they have a four-game series against the last-place Washington Nationals right now, which is really going to help their odds of at least winning some games. I don't know if that's enough to push them in as I personally don't think they're going to get in, but remember something they're competing with the Phillies and the Marlins for a spot right now. And if there's a way they can leapfrog at least one of those teams, then they're probably going to get in. Yeah. Um, I just have not been impressed this season and thank goodness Steve Cohen is buying the team. Uh, I'm going to tell you because I am just absolutely sick of trying to over, analyze and bring in guys who aren't the correct answers to just stay mediocre year in and year out yeah. um, and to stay a borderline playoff team for consistently 10 years. And I'm including the world series appearance in 2015 because the Mets were, you know, that was probably their ceiling uh, 90 wins bank on starting pitching. And that's exactly what they did. And that's what got them there. Yeah. Um, the Atlanta Braves clinched the NL East yesterday. And a fun fact about them. So I'm pretty sure the last three years or two years it, it was, last two years they've clinched the National League East. They've done it in the 155th game of the season. Well, yesterday in the 55th game of the 2020 season, the Braves are crowned National League East champions. How do you like that for our first fun fact of the night? It's a very – uh very nice way to start us off. Very nice way to start us off all half an hour into the show so far. But back to the Mets, um, I, I mean, you look at this season and, you know, there's their, they've had their ups and their downs. But the brightest spot with this Mets team, which, I mean, maybe you could agree, maybe you disagree. But just based on the standards in which he was brought over last year, Edwin Diaz has been fantastic. Edwin Diaz has been absolutely phenomenal. I believe he has a – he has – Seven straight scoreless innings. I, if I if I heard that correctly, he has a 1.5 ERA, around 48 strikeouts. Only has five saves because it started off the season poorly, but he's been a tremendous bright spot along with him. Uh, Seth Lugo's finally getting starts. I believe he won the. He was the starter against Tampa the other night, right? He he got the win. Yep. yep, he did get the win. He's been great. You know, with a team that's been plagued with injuries early throughout the season, you know this would this could have been a team that could have potentially scrapped together a few more wins 
only a few games out of a wild card spot. It definitely would have seen. It definitely would have been intriguing to see what would have happened if they started off the season the way they're playing at this point in time now, because they're definitely playing like a better baseball club. Well, if we look at the standings, the Mets are still alive for a wild card spot. However, it is not exactly pretty, and it doesn't help that Jake Marisnik, utility outfielder, lands on the IL with a hamstring injury, more than likely ending his season at this at this rate. So, the way it is right now. The Mets are, they're not winning the division. They are two and a half games back of a wild card spot. And if I'm not mistaken, I'm going to look at the schedule for this weekend. It would be ideal if the Phillies um, play the Marlins over the weekend. I'm, I don't know if that's the case, though. Trying to, um, They play Tampa over the weekend, so that, oh, could be, that could be really helpful. It does. And then I believe the Marlins have the Yankees. So you know what? I don't want to toot anyone's horn here, Kyle Russo, but that helps the Mets just a little bit. I don't know if that's going to be enough, though. I'm trying to be realistic here as possible as a Mets fan. You know, when I'm talking about my teams, you get it how it is. You get the good and you get the bad as Tampa Bay goes up 1-0 against Michael Waka on the mound tonight. Um, That's that's been the plague of this team so far this season is Michael Waka and Rick Porcello. Awful. I believe they each have a combined two wins on the season. What not- am I going to tell you? They're Band-Aids. That's exactly what they are. They're not that sticky, but they heal the wound until their contract is up. And then the Mets have to find another couple of players to come in. Look, man. Uh, I mean, this is more like pouring salt into an open wound. I mean, they, they're killing you more than hurting you. I believe they – Porcello has like a 5.5 ERA. And oh, yeah. Walker's at 6.6 right now. Yeah. It's terrible. They've been hurting you guys more than helping. We should be up 2 nothing in this series to Tampa Bay because the Grom was on the mound Monday night when the Mets lost 2-1. to one. When the Grom had his um, – he tied his career high 14 strikeouts. You get 14 strikeouts, you go seven innings, and you could only get the guy one lousy run. Sounds like the 2018 Mets all over again. Uh, that's exactly what it was. The Grom drops the 4-2 and two on the season, yet he's still the – by the skin of his teeth, the candidate to win the National League, Cy Young, although he does have some competition with guys like you, Darvish, um, Max Freed from the Atlanta Braves. He's been All, great. Yeah, he really has been great. Um, it was just the home run to Nick Lowe that he gave up um, early on in the game is what lost the Mets the game. Again, one little mistake, and uh, the Mets were unable to come back with their bats and – salvage out a win that they really needed but they were very fortunate that Seth Lugo was able to get them a win yesterday and how did that happen well the Mets decided to crack four home runs Um, I'm sorry three home runs all solo shots one of them coming from Pete Alonzo who had three total RBIs in this game Pete Alonzo has been great these last 30-35 games he had a really sluggish first 10 to 15 but the last 30 games Pete Alonzo has been cranking it with his bat although See where your arguments coming in here. To be honest, say the best bat for the Mets this season was Michael Conforto because my ex housemate actually uh, trained with him in the off season, and you see it in his bat. The dude's hitting like three thirty, three thirty five. But uh, what's your uh, what's your hot take on the polar bear? I want to hear it. Well, I mean, he, he's been good. Probably he's been good in terms of you know putting together some runs and hitting some home runs. But he's got a two oh nine batting average on the season right now. You know, we talk about bright spots with this team. 
I completely forgot about it. Not only Edwin Diaz has kind of turned around his season. Robinson Cano is batting 320 right now for you guys yeah. with 10 home runs on the season. He's been fantastic. The Jay Bruce trade. Everyone's saying the Mets lost the trade. Not anymore. At least not right now. Kalenic is Kalenic is that guy, and that's what people he is. Believe. Yeah. But no, I listen. If Edwin Diaz can pitch like this consistently for the entirety of the season because he's going to be with you guys for a long time. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Robinson Cano. If he could listen, he's not going to be batting three twenty every right. year. But if he yeah. could bat, if he could give you at least two seventy, two sixty, and Edwin Diaz can get back to that form in which he played in a Mariners uniform, this Mets team again they can potentially compete in a tight division as we're seeing right now. And not to mention Kyle, the Mets are getting the meat and potatoes of the Astros lineup. They got Blake Snell last night, and they're getting Tyler Glass now tonight. Um, those are really two good starting pitchers for them. Although Glass now's ERA has been a bit up this year, he's still a fantastic star pitcher who's young. And then the Mets will play a four-game series against the Nationals tomorrow. I'm really excited to seeing uh, David Peterson on the mound. He'll be out there. Porcello will be out there for one of the games, and I think they wrap up on Sunday with Jacob DeGrom, which is a really good situation, especially if it's, um, you know, all chips on the table type of game for the Mets. You don't want anyone else on the mound other than Jake. But Jake has been Jake this year. I got to tell you, he's been one of the few bright spots of the team. And if the Mets can somehow run the table and finish 500, I'll take it. But I'm going to be honest, I think the Mets finish with 28 wins, 28 and 32 and just missed the playoffs by a game or two. It sounds like your typical New York Mets type of season. I think that was actually my exact prediction come the beginning of the season that they'd win. Yeah. I forget what I picked. We have to look back on those old scripts and get those predictions out. But I know um, your near 50 wins for the Yankees will not happen. So uh, speaking of the Yankees, let's, uh, let's get to the New York Yankees. They are 32 and 23. Yeah. And they are second in the AL East, I believe, still. Yeah, and they clinched a playoff spot. Shout out to the Yankees for clinching a playoff spot once again. On Monday, the Yankees played Toronto, and they won 11-4. to They banged up King early on. Although Vlad Guerrero Jr. had um, – I'm sorry, the Blue Jays won 11-4. to My mistake. Uh, they did 11, get King early. 11-5. to 11-5. Okay, there we go. Um but Vlad Guerrero Jr. did have three RBIs in this game. Uh, Bo Bichette, Randall Grichuk, and um, Teoscar Hernandez, four young bats on this team that I really like in the future for Toronto. And Alejandro Kirk, the catcher, went a perfect four for four. The Mets couldn't, I'm sorry, the Yankees couldn't retire him. And I think this is a concern if you're the Yankees and anyone else in the AL East moving forward because Toronto hit rock bottom, but they re- they rebuilt the right way. They're only going to get better from here. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm not saying they're going to be a playoff team when it goes back to the traditional format, but you know, they're going to take away some wins from these teams. Yeah, no, they def- and they have a solid rotation too, which nobody really speaks about. Obviously, acquiring a guy in Hinjin Rio over the Dodgers, a guy that was competing for the Cy Young last year, uh, getting a guy in Anthony Kay who has kind of fallen off a little bit, but started off the season, if you remembered, really hot. And then 
that one pitcher for Toronto was their best top pitching prospect also came up this year. I forgot what his name was, but he was, I believe his last name was Peterson. I believe it was, I could be wrong. It was yeah, something you might be right. Hank, if you know who it is, give us a shout. Cause I know you're watching right now. <laughs> he also traded for a guy in Robbie Ray, you know, which is going to be huge to their pitching rotation as well for the Diamondbacks uh, during the, during oh nate pearson that's what it was that's who it was yes i forget that nate pearson robbie ray tanner rourke hinjin ryu and anthony k that's a nice solid pitching rotation of five guys right there and they also trade i forgot ross stripling to the dodgers as well they're building themselves a team to potentially compete i don't think i think they're out of the play not out of the playoffs yet but they are basically there close weekend they're close to being out um, just want to give a quick shout out to Fonz the Falco, who will be joining us at 8.15 p.m. He's going to talk about the Baltimore Ravens and the Kansas City Chiefs. We are thrilled to have him on the show. And stay tuned. Our week two NFL quick picks loser amongst the review and preview staff will be joining us to perform his punishment live. You have a 50% chance of guessing who that loser was. If you check out our social media, you will know. Um, but back to the Yankees, Kyle. 100% right. By the way, I think Andres Jimenez just hit a solo shot. Game is tied. He's been another great young player for the Mets. Right. But Garrett Cole was on the mound last night. Yankees dominate Toronto. They win 12-1. Cole went seven strong. Winning seven games in a 60-game season is fantastic. I know his ERA has been up a little bit, but you know, you're you're playing in, you know, you're playing your home games in Yankee Stadium. That is a hitter's ballpark and yeah. Um, you know, I really like what I saw from Gio Urshela, four for five. Aaron Hicks had three RBIs. I thought they were really great on Tuesday. And then tonight, uh, Masahiro Tanaka will be on the mound for the Yankees. They are actually in progress, bottom of the third. They are trailing two to one to the Blue Jays. And Hank's comment, we just got pinned up here, Nate Nate Pearson, right. Yep. Okay, perfect. Thanks for that uh, clarification, Hank. Uh, so far, we're in the bottom of the third inning. Toronto leads New York 2-1. to one, And Tanaka's on the mound pitching to Bo Bichette at the moment. It looks like uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. had um, an RBI already. So he's been real solid for Toronto. He, he was on my fantasy team last year. He's a fantastic guy to have, let me tell you. Um and then who's on the mound for Toronto? Did we get that to you? Uh, it looks Robbie like Robbie Ray. Ray. Robbie, Ray. Robbie Ray, who already has four strikeouts. God bless his soul, man. He's such a good pitcher. Yeah. Uh, and then I believe the Yankees will wrap up their four-game series against Toronto tomorrow, and they will play the Marlins over the weekend. Please sweep the Marlins for us, Kyle. You can lend your um, crosstown rivals a helping hand. Oh, listen, I, I hope really you do. It. I hope they do because I know that the Twins, they have to play Cincinnati, which, you know, could have been a hard feat, but has been kind of a a letdown team this year. And I really, not that seeding is really going to matter that much just because of the fact that, as we know, the MLB playoffs is going to potentially be held in a bubble type of scenario. The seeding won't matter that much because you're not going to be playing in your home ballpark to begin with. But Cincinnati, they play against Minnesota to finish out their year. The Yankees finish out their year against Miami. Um, and I believe the Yankees are a game back of Minnesota from taking over that fourth seed. I believe they're the fifth seed right now as it stands today. But uh, 
We'll definitely be rooting for the Yankees to beat the Marlins, Tom. Hopefully, could lend you guys some uh, some wins, some losses for the Marlins, but some wins for you guys. Hopefully, maybe we'll do a little uh, helping hand in return. Hank says, "Please beat the Rays," and we have um, hashtag at Mets. Um, and John Suggs throwing a comment. John Suggs, welcome to the live stream. Thank you very much for joining us. Um, any other questions about baseball? Feel free to comment in the stream. But for now. We are going to move on to the New York football giants, and then we will get to our team of the week after that segment. So Kyle Russo, first and foremost, uh, thoughts and prayers to Bears legend running back Gail Sayers, passed away this morning at the age of 77. Um, He was really just a a fantastic player, really good running back of his time. And, you know, for his sake and his family's sake, you know, hopefully the Bears can get a win this weekend against Atlanta, improve to three and zero. I mean, if, if yeah. you've <laughs> ever heard the story Brian's song before, uh, it's a book and it's a movie. I read it years ago, watched it years ago. One of the most heartwarming, touching stories I've ever heard. Had the opportunity to witness myself. Uh, it's a story about Gail Sayers and his longtime best friend Brian Piccolo, I believe it was. Uh, was his name also a football player for the Chicago Bears back then? Just a fantastic story. If you get the opportunity to watch it or read the book, uh, make sure you go uh, do that. Just an absolutely heartwarming, touching story. Beautiful story uh, between two friends and now Gail Sayers passing today. Uh, obviously, terrible news. Um, lived a long, long life. Uh, a life lived short, actually, 77 years old. Uh, short lived life with so much to give. Nowadays, that's considered. Yeah. And had such a great football career back in the '60s as well, um, but definitely thoughts so, and not to the family. Of course, I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, yeah, let's get to that question. So, um, who would you rather face in the first round, the White Sox or the Twins? So, this is uh, you and Hank here. Uh, Hank, I'd rather face the White Sox personally, just based on the fact with the lack of. Uh, experience in which they have in this playoff type of scenario. Yes, they've been a hot team with Jan Makana, Aloy uh, G- uh, Jimenez, um, obviously Tim Anderson with his batting average. Um, uh, they have another Luis Roberto, I believe his name is as well. Uh, Yasmani Grandal. The, these are just younger guys that haven't really had that experience with the exception of Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel, who I believe is injured at the moment right now. Um, I know they have Alex Colome, who they brought up from the Tampa Bay Rays last season. Fantastic. I believe he leads the league in – I believe he's one of the top three, top five pitchers in league-leading saves right now. They're a fantastic team, but the Twins, the Twins are deep. The Twins are scary, and they always play the Yankees tight for some reason. Now, will that change being considered that they're playing in a different stadium? Maybe, but we'll see. They definitely have a lot of great bats on that team. Mitch Garver – uh, Josh Donaldson, Miguel Sano, uh, a great array of pitchers in which they have for them. And with the Yankees rotation that is shorthanded at the moment in terms of what you could really count on at this point in time, I'd say that you could probably count on Cole, uh, Tanaka, and as crazy as it sounds, J.A. Happ to potentially be your third man starter because he's he's been that good this year. Loisega has been a letdown. Montgomery has had his uh, letdown type of scenario where he hasn't stepped up to the plate necessarily. Um, it's going to be definitely scary no matter who they face potentially. Again, Hank, I'd rather face the White Sox if I was to choose, based on uh, lack of inexperience. I'd agree. Considering the Twins were in the playoffs last year, the White Sox were not. Yeah. Um, so, 
Giants lose to the Bears 17-13, and this game was a tough pill to swallow. Uh, so Chicago opened up the game. They were up 17 to nothing, and the Bears had a 12-play, 82-yard drive, lasted nearly eight minutes. That resulted in a 28-yard touchdown pass to David Montgomery. Um, Kyle Russo, this was a very, very uh, annoying drive. I was listening to it on the radio on the way up to Stanford to meet up with some friends, Hank and Dom, who we're both watching right now. Um, it's just, I'm sorry, but if I'm defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham, please do not put Nate Ebner in the secondary. The guy belongs on special teams. He's absolutely lost out there. Um, this was just a terrible drive. And then Daniel Jones, to cough the ball up on the ensuing possession. I mean, you know, you're sitting there just sitting down and you just want to ball your eye. I mean, look, this is a Chicago Bears team that feeds off of turnovers. To get a touchdown like they did, I think the recipe for success in this game was to give the rock to David Montgomery, and that's exactly what the Bears did, even though he – I know he left due to an injury, but he came back in the game, so that was good to see. Yeah, if you remember a drive earlier on in the game where he just completely juked out five Giants defensemen, ran a cross route, I ran off to the side, looked like he was running out of bounds – uh, faked out, I believe, again, we bring up the names, Corey Ballantyne and Julian Love uh, in that secondary. It had been a defensive liability and then runs into the end zone. But 17 to nothing at the half. I get it. You don't have Saquon Barkley, but you weren't able to establish a run to begin with at all. Between the Pittsburgh game and this game, you weren't able to establish a run, so that's not the issue. Daniel Jones, Tom. Daniel Jones has been... You know, you look at these two games and you really crack down on them. Daniel Jones has been almost our best asset and our worst asset at the same time because the defense has been tremendous. The defense put four sacks in this game. Yes, Chicago doesn't necessarily have the best of offensive line, but for a team that couldn't pass rush anybody last season to have four sacks in a game is great. They gave up four sacks themselves on the offensive side of the ball, which – Cannot happen because now I believe in the last two games, the Giants offensive line has let up seven sacks, which again, again, two great defenses, but cannot happen. Why? Because we're seeing Daniel Jones, one of his biggest weaknesses that we've noticed last season, has no ball control. He fumbles the ball when he gets hit. He fumbles the ball when he gets hit and it turns it over and then it leads another team to scoring position. And it's ultimately been the dagger in this Giants team now back to back games. So, granted, Andrew Thomas and Cam Fleming had bad games, quite frankly. I'll be blunt. Yeah. Uh, they, were, they were going up against Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn, who were both questionable throughout the week. And the first turnover, the game was set up. It was a forced fumble by Quinn, recovered by Khalil Mack. Uh, you know, the one-two punch right there for Chicago. And you can't say it any better. Giants are down 10 nothing. The defense held them to three. That's always a good sign. And then Saquon Barkley, who tears his ACL in the second quarter of this game, the first play of the second quarter. Uh, Eddie Jackson said there was no intent, of course. He wasn't trying to yeah, take I, Barkley out was, for this. It wasn't a dirty hit. It wasn't a dirty play. Um, you know, kind of a freak accident in a sense. Yeah, and in this game, Barkley had four rushes for 28 yards. And... Deion Lewis wasn't much better. He came in relief. He did have the one touchdown on fourth and goal. I thought Joe Judge, um, he does the Joe Judge report with um, 
John Schmelk. I thought he did a really nice job of breaking that play down. For the audience, I'm sorry, Bob Papa, not John Schmelk. Deion Lewis had 10 carries for 20 yards. The Bears' front did a fantastic job. Bilal Nichols, Akeem Hicks, those guys were great in the trenches. Roquan Smith, Danny Trevathan. Bears' defense is fantastic. Remember, Kyle, this team, you know, it's oddly enough how quick things change in the NFL. This Bears team is two years removed from a 12-4 and season and a Mitchell Trubisky Pro Bowl appearance, which sounds absolutely shocking here in 2020. Um, I want to get to this. He hasn't Go been ahead. bad. He didn't look great against the Giants. He hasn't been bad, though, through uh, – I know through two interceptions. I know one was to James Bradbury, who's uh, hands down been our best defensive acquisition, uh, definitely the best move of the offseason by far uh, by Dave Gettleman. He's been a lockdown cornerback, and he's been fantastic for them. Uh, one rookie looked damn good last week was Justin Herbert. Go Ducks, Chargers, Dr. Puncture, Tyrod Blunt. We'll get into that a little later. That was a – yeah. Talk about freak accidents. That's a, that's another story to be told. But back to the Giants. Yeah, their defense has been surprisingly good. Their defense has been really good. I think so. Uh, they've managed to keep the Pittsburgh Steelers, who have a dominating offense, to twenty six points, which isn't bad. Uh, the Bears to seventeen. They don't necessarily have that offensive weapon. Maybe Allen Robinson and again David Montgomery, but with the exception of those two, not really. They kept them to seventeen. Graham Gano. Uh, we will talk about people that killed the Giants in this game, missing the field goal that would have allowed them to, instead of having to go for the touchdown on the last drive, they could have kicked the field goal to win the game. Uh, that killed the Giants as well. They they just, uh, again, we bring up the points about the Giants and what went wrong with this team and what is going wrong with this team. They are just not clicking on any sort of cylinder, Tom. They're, they're not clicking at all. Again, we bring up the point of what this Giants team has been able to do. Yes, two great defenses, no doubt. There's no argument whatsoever. The Giants are 32nd in offensive points scored in these first two games of the season. Granted, you do lose Saquon, can't acquire a running game, and now Sterling Shepard's going to be out three weeks. They still have a pretty decent offense. Evan Ingram, Darius Slayton, and Golden Tate is not a bad option. Devontae Freeman. With now the addition of Devontae Freeman, which hopefully – Hopefully, as some of these games get a little bit easier on the defensive side of the ball uh, in terms of defensive opponents, hopefully a run game is able to be established because, as crazy as it sounds, through two games in the season, Daniel Jones is the Giants' leading rusher. Yeah. Uh, You know, I'm going to get more into it on the Big Blue Avenue tomorrow with Hank and Caitlin, but um, the Bears led this game 17-0. And I think the turning point, one of the – Many turning points was when Trubisky threw an interception to Julian Love, uh, which really helped the Giants. I think at this point, the Giants were still down 17 nothing. Graham Gano kicked the field goal to get us on the board finally. And then the next possession, the Giants would have their only touchdown of the game, that 11-play, 95-yard drive. Pat O'Donnell just pinned us deep on the punt, and then the Giants are able to Score touchdown, Deion Lewis on a fourth and goal play. I think his impact moving forward, Deion Lewis should stay in his current role, the change of pace back that can fill in if an injury happens. But he can't be your number one feature. He's really good as a pass catcher, and so is Devontae Freeman. Remember, Freeman had north of 50 catches last year. Him and Deion Lewis together should be fine. I think Freeman as a blocker, 
is an upgrade over Barkley, but of course he's not Saquon. No, he's not. He he is a two time Pro Bowler. I'll give him that. But he's older, you know. He's closer to thirty years of age, and you know him and Deion Lewis. That one two tandem is going to be quite interesting, in my opinion. I'm kind of excited for it. I don't think this is as decimating to the Giants as some fans are taking it to be. I mean, of course you lose a leader, you lose a vocal player in the locker room. You hope the best for Saquon and the road to recovery, I think will be an excellent story to tell next year. Because remember Dalvin Cook and Adrian Peterson, a couple examples of guys who returned from ACL injuries and just blew up when they came back. But um, thoughts on that. I mean, I think where it, where it comes down to the, evaluation of the loss of Saquon is that hands down, I don't even think there's a question. He's the franchise player. You know, usually it's the QB, but he's the, he's the franchise. The giants built this team around him. Look at the amount of picks, the amount of money in which they've spent in the offensive line. And they've failed him. They've failed him since he's been a member of this New York giants team, uh, two, three years ago already. They have failed him every single season and where giants fans are so upset and feel like the season is over because no matter what has gone wrong over the course of the last three years, obviously with the exception of Saquon going down a couple games last season, he's been the only consistent force for this team week in and week out. And now you lose that. And you also lose one of your, also one of your longest tenured players in Sterling Shepard. You have to rely on a guy in golden Tate, who's an older receiver and practically still a rookie. And Darius Slayton hasn't played a full season yet of football games. And Daniel Jones now in his second year with an offensive line that can't block for him. It's, well, it's going to be a cluster of a season. And I know we talk about Devonta Freeman being a nice block, uh, blocking running back. Nate Sold is their biggest loss. I'd, I'd have to disagree tremendously on that one. I'd have to disagree tremendously. Who do you think the biggest loss is, Kyle? The biggest loss is hands down Saquon Barkley. He gives the spark to that offense that I don't know where it's going to come from now. Right, but before that, because, you know, you can make all the comments. I see John's point because, quite frankly, Nate Solder right now, he's an upgrade over Cam Fleming and Andrew Thomas. I know Thomas has only played two games in the league, but come on, Kyle. I mean, that that's a huge loss if he's playing. I don't think Daniel Jones is flat on his back. And, th- look, the Giants have uh, surrendered the second most pass rushes uh, – in the NFL, only behind the Houston Texans. And, uh, you know, luckily Deshaun Watson is able to dance out of that sometimes. Daniel Jones is quick, but not as quick, right? Um, it's I see his point. Probably, I think Barkley, can, there, there can still be production from Freeman and Lewis as a combination. No one's going to replace Saquon Barkley. I totally understand your point. It's the biggest loss on this team. But Nate Solder is a pretty big one, too. I don't. I really don't think so. The only reason why Nate Solder is a loss is because if Nate Solder was playing, you could have moved Andrew Thomas at right tackle, which you can't even say is a good thing because Andrew Thomas, throughout his years at Georgia, I think two, three, I think I believe it was three years, he was a left tackle mm-hmm. every single game in which he played. That's his That's his natural position. Right. You were going to invest a fourth, uh, fourth overall pick. Uh, and put him in a position that he's never even played in. Remember the last time he did an offensive lineman like that, Eric Flowers, and played him in a position that he wasn't drafted as? And Nate well, Solder, again, Nate Solder was fantastic with the Patriots, blocked for Tom Brady for so many years. 
But since putting on a Giants uniform, he has not been good. And obviously has a lot of personal reasons, which I give my prayers and thoughts to, obviously with the situation in which his family, which is the reason why he's opted out of the season. And that could obviously be a lot, uh, a huge contribution uh, mentally for the lack of performance. But in terms of production on the field, he is, I don't really think he's been an upgrade over Andrew Thomas, to be quite frank with you. He's given up a lot of game, a lot of quarterback hits. He's not been necessarily that better protector for whatever quarterback is starting, whether it was Daniel Jones or Eli Manning. He was not really that great protector for them. Again, to John's point, the bright side of that would be that you don't have to play Cam Fleming at right and can move Andrew Thomas to right. Here is that Nate Solder starting at left is better than Andrew Thomas starting at left. Here's right. my point. Here's just the one point I want to make. Remember, they drafted Luke Pettigrew in 1999. Played left tackle at Notre Dame. He started as a right tackle on the Giants. They were able to switch him over. Remember, your your level of competition is just increasing. As where if you're a good offensive lineman, I think the right tackle position is easier to learn. And then when when you have experience, the right tackle position, you can move over to the left tackle position. And I understand it's not always going to be like that. You know, there's going to be day ones like Joe Thomas, perfect example, made a career out of it. And you would hope the same for Andrew Thomas. But if Nate Solder was able to play, Andrew Thomas would have had that ability. And that's where I think John's point makes sense because it, I think it would have benefited Andrew Thomas a lot to have Nate Solder there with him because that was the idea when they drafted him. He would learn under Nate Solder. Now that Nate Solder is not there, it's affected Andrew Thomas's gameplay throughout these first couple of weeks because you can only do so much over Zoom and text. I'm sure Nate Solder was one of the first guys that reached out to Andrew Thomas once he got drafted. Not having him, at least in the locker room, is huge. You know, it's not just on the field. I mean, I, I, I see both sides to the argument here, um, but I don't want to dwindle too much more on that. I want to get to James Bradbury, Kyle, because he won PFF Defensive Player of the Week, thanks to Pro Football Focus, took an interception out of the hands of Allen Robinson, when the Giants were trailing 17-10. to 10. Uh, This eventually led to a field goal by Graham Gano. Take this play down. And what do you think of James Bradbury, man? You know, I, I know you brought up the defense surprisingly is good, but I'm not surprised at all. They invested a lot into this defense, and it starts right with James Bradbury. I'm, su- I'm not surprised with him because the best part about James Bradbury is that when he was with Carolina and when they signed him, I said the same thing is that this guy has been facing the best receivers in football for the last four years of his entire career, in which you play a total of six games, not obviously all each team, but you've played about two matchups per team against guys like Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Taylor Gabriel when he was with the Atlanta Falcons, Michael Thomas with the uh, with the New Orleans Saints, and then guys like, uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans. Yeah. This guy has played against the cream of the crop receivers for the last four years of his career and has been able to put up, again, he's not a stat guy, but he shuts down receivers. He limits them in the action in which they're able to see. They don't get many receptions when they're up against him. They don't get many yards when they're up against them. And he rarely gives up touchdowns when he's lined up against a solid receiver like that. And in a division, again, where the receivers, with the exception of the Dallas Cowboys, aren't that great in terms of stance and, and where they stand on the receiver ranking list, James Bradbury 
is by far the best acquisitions for this Giants team. Again, I'm going to say it again. I love, I love what I saw from Patrick Grant and what he's been able to develop with this defense. You know, we, we knocked the fact of bringing Kyle Fackrell. I believe he had a sack last week. Very nice for him to see the combination of linebackers between Blake Martinez and himself. Again, this secondary, you know, you bring up the point about Nate Ebner being at safety on that play. Again, it's because the Giants, if they have one lack of position, their safety position is just decimated with, obviously, uh, with the exception of Jabril Peppers. It's absolutely, it's completely decimated, in my, at least in my personal opinion. I, I, the, I see where you're coming from. The way that teams are able to get slant rounds on this Giants secondary like it's nothing and gain 15 right. yards per play. We saw it against the Seals with Deontay oh. Johnson. We saw it with Eric Ebron. You know, we saw it. We just saw it lead for a touchdown with David Montgomery. The, the secondary is just a weak point that we're going to see pre- periodically throughout the season, and hopefully they're going to be able to c- continue to improve because right. the secondary is made up of younger guys. Well, I see your point, and I do agree the safety position is definitely a concern, but I think the biggest weak length on this defense is who's playing the number two cornerback, and right now that man is Corey Ballantyne, and – Anthony Miller dropped the wide open pass in the end zone Yeah, last week. He's been awful. I like Julian Love back there at safety, and I think having Logan Ryan, too, helps their case, Darnay Holmes. I think the second boundary cornerback position cannot be filled with the name Corey Ballantyne. It needs to be somebody else. Um, if you want to throw Darnay Holmes into the fire, fine, and play Logan Ryan in the spot. I can't see there. Uh, it's, it's a huge concern. Look, the Giants' defense, great. They pitched the shutout in the second half. A lot of Bears fans expected a blowout, and I'm not quite too sure why. They must have not watched Monday Night Football against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but I personally think that anyone who thought the Bears would blow this team out are, quite frankly, very, very mistaken because the Giants and the Bears are two very similar teams as through two weeks at least. Really good defense, a team that – is striving to feed off their running game, which I understand the Bears, they outrush the Giants heavily. Yeah. But overall, you know, I wasn't so certain why Bears fans were thinking we're going to blow this Giants team out. No, I, I, I had no concern about whether or not being blown out. Uh, there was a little concern about, you know, them going up potentially 20 points before we even got any points on the board. Of course, that was a concern in my head. But in terms of if you, if you paid attention to the game in which they played against Detroit, Detroit was leading the entire game. And on one of the last plays of the drive in which Detroit had the opportunity to close out, DeAndre Swift, rookie running back out of Georgia, had the opportunity to close out the game. I believe he fumbled a pass or uh, fumbled. I believe it was either a rush or a pass in which he fumbled. Again, Tom, you said it er- earlier. The Bears are a team that feed off of turnovers. This offense is not explosive. Mitchell Trubisky is uh, is an okay quarterback. Allen Robinson is a really good receiver, but you'd only be as good as your quarterback is, in my personal opinion. Anthony Miller was a guy that I was high on last year. Again, you can only be as good as your quarterback is. And Jimmy Graham is your tight end in this scenario right now, and David Montgomery was injured periodically throughout training camp, and that's your starting running back. And Tariq Cohen – it's kind of been a guy that's been lost in the fold. He's been that guy that was such a Swiss Army knife for them last season where he could be the running back 
and also get you around five, six receptions per game for around 40, 50 yards. They don't seem to be using him at all yeah. for some reason. Oh. But this Bears offense is not that explosive team that's going to drop 30 on you. So yeah. I would have to agree with your statement. So, Andrew Hopper, uh, 2-0, Chicago Bears. Yep, they are 2-0 just for the fifth time since 1993, so the fifth time in 27 years. And, you know, I got to say, the Giants, they kept it close. Uh, late in the game, the Bears miss a field goal via Cairo Santos, and then the Giants get the ball. They move down the field. They had a couple of good plays, one to Evan Ingram. Ten-yard line, four seconds left. Jones is rolling out. What's he going to do? He throws it, and it is batted away. Offensive pass interference on Golden Tate. Game over. Giants 0-2 for the seventh time in eight seasons. And I just want to say one thing. The Bears held Darius Slayton to three catches. Three catches. A very similar stat line that the Giants hold Allen Robinson to. Well, it's because they know that that's that's Daniel Jones' security blanket. That's his favorite target. And with guys like Saquon, who you saw put up tremendous yardage in the receiving option, not necessarily the running option, against the Steelers, he's an offensive threat. Sterling Shepard being the longest-tenured Giants receiver in this lineup right now, I believe I think you've even said the longest-tenured Giants player at this point in time. Sterling Shepard. Sterling Shepard. He's now out for three weeks. So when all you have to rely on is – Golden Tate and Darius Slayton, you know, seeing the success in which Darius Slayton and Daniel Jones has had, this Bears defense had an easy job, in my personal opinion. Well, yeah, you know, you bring up a good point. Uh, back to Fackrell, I never knocked that signing. I really like him a lot. I think he deserves to be a starter on the early downs. He's really good against the run, and he can get sacks. And he's performed in this defense in the past, similar to Blake Martinez. Uh, I think they're just overall two great linebackers to have on this roster. The uh, only reason why I knocked that signing was that I was very surprised that they let go of a guy at the time, Marcus Golden, who had 10 sacks for them last season and didn't sign him back when immediately when he wasn't getting any traction in the free agency market, but obviously being able to acquire, reacquire him back in late July really helped. Was again, Patrick Graham is going to use the pieces in which he's familiar with, and that's these two Green Bay linebackers and Blake Martinez yeah. and Tyler Fackle. So let's get to this comment here. Eddie Jackson's pick six getting called back was an awful call, but credit the Giants never quit and made defensive stops in the second half. All right, so I'm going to break down this play. I watched the clip again over and over today as I'm preparing for tomorrow's show. It was not an awful call. It was the correct call because Jackson got there a second too early and he did bump Caden Smith. In today's modern NFL, that's a defensive pass interference. Is it close? Yes. Could it have gone either way? Yes. As far as if the call was originally called a pass interference and the Giants challenged it, well, they wouldn't have been able to challenge it. Actually, no, they would have. I think it would have stood as a no call, but the fact that they called a pass interference, I think that was the correct call. Kyle, I don't know what you think, but I think he got there a tad early on Caden Smith, and the announcer even said it. Um, you know, it was the right call. It was pass interference. I know an official told Matt Nagy otherwise, but I think it was the right call. No, I do. I do believe the same. I do believe it was the right call. It, it was close. You know, I'll give you that. It was close, but uh, I do believe the uh, refs got it right. A lot of Bears fans think that was pass interference. I personally don't think it was. Uh, we could sit here and argue that for days, for for months, but my personal opinion is they made uh, 
the right decision there. Darnell Mooney was very impressive for Chicago. He was great. Deion Bush had the interception off of Jones. Trubisky had two picks as well. He he honestly, I thought he was great in the first half. Uh, in the second half, not so much. Um, he did a good job staying poised in the pocket until the Giants started throwing out some more like disguised blitzes at him. Uh, Giants play 49ers in week three. 49ers have a lot of their all-star players hurt. Uh, it's crazy. Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas both tore their ACLs. George Kittle, Debo Samuel, Richard Sherman, all out with injuries. Jimmy Garoppolo, too. Jimmy G, who has a high ankle sprain. I, I don't know if they said Nick Mullins is like 99% yeah. going. Yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo isn't even practicing right now, so it's most likely yeah. Nick Mullins. Raheem Mostert's also injured. Yeah. Kevin Coleman's on IR as well. He's out for four weeks. So let's, uh, let's make a prediction on this game. I'm going to go a solid uh, 13-10 San Francisco. Yeah, it's going to be a kicking game. It's going to be a kicking game. And, you know, watching Robbie Gold for as long as I have, obviously being age with the Bears and having him for the one year with the Giants, he's a great kicker. They're going to rely on him a lot. I'm going to go San Francisco too. Um, but I'm going to go 20-10 to 10, uh, San Francisco. Somehow, even with all those injuries, Tom, San Francisco is still four-point favorites. Quick comment. One of those picks was, like, really stolen out of Robinson's hands. Yeah, Brad, Brad Bradbury is good. Uh, PFF Defensive Player of the Week. Robinson is good, too. But I think Bradbury, Kyle, being matched up on the elite corners is where he belongs for sure. Yeah. So we're going to get Fonz DeFalco up in – Less than two minutes now, as uh, we'll show this comment here while we go over our uh, team of the week. So our team of the week is a segment that we come up with every week. Um, Kyle Russo, I want to start with you. Who is your team of the week? My team of the week, uh, team of the week is my New York Yankees. Ten straight wins, uh, had a 10-2 defeat against Boston, but now starting to get on track uh, once again. So that Yankees play in which we all know and love. Uh, in which the Yankees are very capable of doing and getting hot like that and getting hot at the right time and pushing for that playoff spot, as you alluded to earlier, Tom, being able to clinch a uh, spot in the playoffs, now sit at the five seed in the AL. So Team of the Week, New York Yankees. I like it. And by the way, congrats on the playoff berth. Thank you. Uh, my Team of the Week is the Los Angeles Rams, and here's why. They defeated the Philadelphia Eagles for the very first time since December 27, 2004. Fun fact, Kyle, you were not very old. Four. Neither was I. I was nine. Anyway, uh, the Rams improved to 2-0, a road win from a team from the West Coast coming in, beats the Eagles, who were favored against the spread. Uh, great to see. So that's my team of the week. And, Kyle, at this time, we are going to bring up our former co-host of Review and Preview, Fonz DeFalco. Oh, hello. <laughs> How are you doing? Good. How are you guys, man? It's been uh, it's been a while. It's been, it's been, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. It has. It's, you know, I had, a, I had a rep it today. I got the Ravens <laughs> Pro Bowl hat on, too, so I'm all good now. I'm ready to talk some Ravens football. I like it. So Fonz is the uh, he is the co-host of the Transfer Portal podcast, and you're also one of the hosts on Four Corners with Mike DeSanto. You can mm-hmm. tune into that show tomorrow, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, tomorrow at uh, 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. So 
out out or check out me and Hank with Big Blue Avenue. Uh, we'll be interviewing mm-hmm. Caitlin Leonard. So check out both those shows if you can. If you got two computers up, fun. So um, your Baltimore Ravens they beat the Houston Texans thirty three to sixteen, and I'm so excited to have you on for the rest of the show tonight. I, you know, I've got to tell you, uh, the Ravens' first touchdown it was a one yard pass to Patrick Ricard. Mm-hmm. Uh, 6'3", 300 pounds. I know he also plays like linebacker, defensive line. He's into nose tackles and fullback. So bring back the fullback. The Ravens are one of the few teams that loves their fullback. I'm a big advocate of bringing it back in the NFL. You actually got to interview a former NFL fullback over the summer. It was Chris my dream. That was awesome. I always remember that moment. Do you, do you have the bottle with you? Uh, yes, I have this one right here. My so explain to the viewers who don't know what that is. So this is a nice shaker. This was made up by uh, Chris Gronkowski. It's basically an insulated uh, water bottle. You can put your protein here. It keeps drinks cold for up to 40 hours. This one's up to 40 hours. Some go as low as 24. Uh, and it also keeps beverages hot, hot for up to seven hours. So it's excellent stuff. I've been, literally bought this four months ago, and this is all I use. I fill it up with water, uh, some lemonade. If I do my protein, all under here. Excellent stuff. Icesugar.com. I can't recommend it enough. It's really Awesome stuff. I think you have one, Tom, right? You still have yours. I do, yeah. Uh, shout out to you and Walt uh, on that one question. Mm-hmm. I had to answer before anyone else. That was definitely a fun night. Um, good, good. So just want to recap the Ravens game, and then we'll get into the questions. So the Ravens are up 10 nothing, and then Deshaun Watson ended up hitting Darren Fells, who is a touchdown machine from mm-hmm. short yardage. He's pretty much not used outside of the red zone. It's kind of crazy yeah. to think about. Um, then uh, Kute had the key fumble forced by Humphrey and recovered by LJ Fort for a 22-yard touchdown. Fonz, who is this guy named LJ Fort? He used to play for the Philadelphia Eagles, and I believe there was another team before that, if I'm not mistaken. But he was basically a special team throughout his career. Uh, when he signed with the Ravens, he was going to be more as a uh, special teamer also. But they ended up, well, they had Patrick Queen, they needed a second linebacker. And Patrick Owansu was now on the Jets. That he was, they were going to be the stars, Queen and Owansu. Owansu leaves. LJ Four steps into the fold right there, and he's been very good for them. I mean, I thought he was more of a special teamer, but he's been improved really well in that that uh, front seven with Patrick Queen taking over the strong side forward and the weak side. But he's been doing very well for me. Yeah, journeyman. Somehow the Ravens just always find these journeyman special team guys and make them into solid rotational players. In this case, Ford, a full time starter. Crazy because you guys have an outstanding one-two combo at cornerback as well. So to add another good linebacker, an LJ mm-hmm. Ford next to Patrick Queen is great. Mm-hmm. Um, so now Houston's down twenty to seven, and then Marcus Peters gets the pick in the third Beautiful. quarter. That was an awesome pick. Yeah. Snagged it out of the air. It was really. I, I watched it. I jumped out of my chair. I was like, that was. I did not expect him to pick it off like that. Yeah. And that Mark Ingram 30-yard touchdown rush to seal the deal. Great to see him in the backfield with uh, mm-hmm. J.K. Dobbins. Those guys are fun to watch. And then um, Gus Edwards is still there, yes. too. Yeah, Gus the a, boss Edwards. They're three-man uh, three punch over there, really. Wrecking crew. You don't, you never know who's going to run the ball in the backfield for the Ravens. You, you also have Lamar Jackson to the mix also. Yeah. I know J.J. Watt had the two sacks, but I thought um, – Defensively, at least, I thought Baltimore did a really good job at stopping the run against David Johnson, you know, because that's kind of the identity of Houston's offense right now since yeah. they don't have Hopkins anymore. Yeah. And now Ravens, man, 14 straight regular season wins. That is the longest active streak in the <laughs> NFL. 
Congratulations. Yeah, it feels good. I mean, I would like to eventually get that playoff win. I don't want to come out here and say rah, rah, Super Bowl, undefeated all the way, but we still need to get that one playoff win to help out Lamar Jackson. That's the one thing everyone knows. He's a great quarterback. It's just the postseason. It's it's a little bit different. So it's his third year. He still has time, but I'm still excited for the regular season, but I got to you know, be hopeful for the postseason. If it's a wild card spot, uh, divisional round, we get a first round by and whatnot. Kyle Russo, I'm going to throw the uh, baton to you, and let's uh, let's get this started. Fonz, something I love about this Ravens team more than a lot of teams in the NFL is that they always have that guy. They don't have that guy that you can consistently count on. It's a next man up type of mentality. One week in the first week, you see Mark Andrews be their almost leading receiver and be the journey and be that guy. And now this week, you see Marquise Brown. You see the Ravens somehow put up 33 points in this game, yet Lamar Jackson's only throwing one touchdown for 200 yards and only one rushing touchdown. Yeah. You look at the way they distribute the ball in Harbaugh's situation where you only have a max rushing of 16 rushes, and that's by your quarterback. Yeah. By your actual running back of play, Gus Edwards leading the charge with 10 rushes and 73 yards. You know, And this is a, this is a team that drafted arguably the best running back coming out of college in J.K. Dobbins, and he's like your fourth running back at this yeah. situation right now with Lamar Jackson kind of leading the charge. Yeah, Explain what this team is, and are they so good because you never know as an opponent on defense who they're going to go to because they can consistently count on guys week in and week out. Well, I, we talked about this a while ago. Remember on the draft I said the Ravens will always go for team need in the first round and then no matter what, second, third, so on, it's just who's the best available. And at this time in the second round, J.K. Dobbins was arguably the best player in the in available at that point, even though they really didn't necessarily need a running back. So it goes back to the draft every year when you say like, oh, they have a need here, need here. They don't do that. They go for the next, just the next available, like the best guy. They had Edwards and Mark Ingram and Lamar Jackson, like you said. Doesn't matter. They brought in J.K. Dobbins to help out in that running back spot. Uh, wide receivers, I can even, uh, you know, at the time they really necessarily didn't need wide receivers because they had. Uh, Michael Michael Crabtree and John Brown and whatnot. They drafted Marquise Holler Brown because he was the best available player in the first round. Uh, even at linebacker too, you can even say with Patrick Queen because they necessarily didn't need a middle linebacker at that at that point because they had a Wansu and uh, a couple of other guys that are no longer on the team because we thought they'd be the starters. Best available guy that brought him in. Uh, so it's basically just a continuation of just it leads up to the draft because I think this is one of the only few teams that has like a lot of their. Players drafted still, if I'm not mistaken. Matthew Judon, another guy. They didn't need a pass rusher at the time. They had Suggs. They had Darius Smith. They had a bunch of other players, too. Judon, they got in the fifth round, he was the best available player. Now he's their leading sack man. So it's just always who's ever best available, and they always – you know, and the Clays Campbell one, too. That's another thing. They yeah. always trade guys who are at their low point. Even though Clays Campbell, I don't know how we got a fifth-round pick for him, but the Jaguars viewed him as like a – you know, like I towards the tail end of his career, and they're like, "We'll just take anything for him." Brandon's like, "Okay, fine. We'll get a fifth. We'll do a, just a fifth round pick for him." So they always look for guys that were at the low point too. I'll mention one more because I feel like I'm rambling on. Marcus Peters, <laughs> remember happened him with the Rams? Yeah, and we thought he'd be done at that point too. The Ravens, I think it was like a third and a fourth something for future picks just for Marcus Peters. They just signed him to an uh, extension, one of the top corners. So it's just they get guys at their low points and. They just draft who's best available, regardless of need. That tandem of uh, a Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters, man, that's got to be the best cornerback oh, in all of football, hands down. Mm-hmm. Uh, I brought it up a couple times in the past. You know, Ozzie Newsome set you guys up for years and years. Of yeah. 
leading the charge over to Eric DaCosta now in that uh, Ravens GM uh, position. They're in a great situation, man, to succeed for these next 10 years potentially. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We'll see, we'll see what happens when it gets to the postseason. You know, I'm happy now, but we'll see what happens when it gets to Week 17 wild card round. Yeah. Fun. I've got the first fun fact for you tonight yes. um, on the segment. As I, I know, uh, about to roll your eyes, but uh, LJ Fort is the top-rated linebacker through two weeks, according to Pro Football Focus. Look at that, so, Steve. Another example, another guy. They just brought him in. I think they traded for him, too, also for like a late-round pick or whatever. So, again, they take lower guys who are not worth much, quote-unquote, and make them into solid players. But I want to ask you something about Lamar Jackson. So, 28 touchdowns, one interception over his last nine regular season games. Mm-hmm. He is a regular season beast. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's no stopping the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the Ravens, they're 0-2 against the Chiefs when Lamar has been the quarterback against Patrick Mahomes. Mm-hmm. So Mahomes has had the upper hand in those meetings. How do you evaluate Lamar so far this season, and what do you expect heading into week three? Uh, I really think he's improved a lot heading into now his second full season. Um, as the starting quarterback, I mean, you, you saw from you even know it was just the Browns and the Texans, but he's making the read. He's definitely making a lot better reads. He's not just throwing it to just throw it at. Sometimes he's kind of waiting till the open man's there. Example with Mark Andrews waiting to see if he's open in the red zone or down the field. Marquise Brown, he's giving him the ball a lot more because we kind of saw it's just like just throwing him the ball and see what happens or probably not even throwing him because he's covered, but he trusts him and lets him, you know, run down the field and throws it to him. So I think he just overall makes a lot better reads and even on the option plays, you know, sometimes he doesn't, maybe he doesn't want to take it and kind of risk an injury. So he wants to, if he sees the hole, gives it to Ingram or gives it to Edwards or <laughs> gives it to Dobbins or whoever's in the backfield at that point. So he's definitely making a lot better reads now in his third season. It's, a, it's already a big improvement. So, but we'll see what happens when it goes up against like the, the Chiefs and the Steelers when it gets down the line towards the end of the season, if he can keep up with that momentum of making the correct reads. Not to mention, um, the Ravens did outrush the Houston Texans last week, 230 to 50, 51, I want to say. It just speaks volumes that, you know, Lamar Jackson doesn't have to throw the ball that much, um, Mm -hmm. which is just crazy. I I mean, I still think Ingram is the top guy, but eventually he'll have to hand it over to J.K. Dobbins. I think think by next year, I would say. By next year, he'll be like the full halfback behind uh, if Ingram's there if he does Ingram will take a lesser role going forward you drafted him really early too mm-hmm. but one other question I had Hollywood Brown we know he is the number one receiver on this roster right now yeah I like what I've seen from Devin Duvernay returning kicks and I think James Proach returned the punt yes, last yes. week but my question to you is about Miles Boykin I really like him for reasons you probably know why yeah <laughs> Is he your number two receiver right now, um, excluding the tight end Mark Andrews, or do you um, think it's one of these rookies? Um, well, I think I think on the on like the official depth chart or whatever, it's it's Hollywood Brown at one. I think Willie Sneed is your number two, and then I think it's Boykin right now and du- Duvernay like at the splitting time at the three, I, I believe, because uh, they their official starting lineup is like the two tight ends with Boyle and Andrews, and sometimes Ricard too, but. I like Boykin. He, he's a solid receiver. I don't think he gets a, a lot of credit because obviously when you have Duvray, who was drafted pretty high, and obviously Marquise Brown, who was drafted pretty high, I think Boykin was a late third round pick, if I'm not mistaken. But he's definitely made a 
he's definitely made some solid improvements. Um, I really think down the line when I think they're going to eventually probably move on from Willie Sneed in, in a couple of years or so, or maybe next year or something, maybe put Boykin and Brown as the number one and two, and then Duvray at the three and, and James Proch at the, at doing like the kickoff returns and punt returns fully. And then maybe making him as the fourth receiver or something. This is, they probably, that's why I think they didn't really draft necessarily a receiver that high or went after someone in free agency. They probably saw the potential in Boykin that he could definitely take that next step. Kyle, what do you got? Now, Fonz, on obviously we talk about this defense and how spectacular they are. You know, there's an argument to be said that you could probably already name four or five guys that will be going to the Pro Bowl this year just mm-hmm. moving the side of the ball. But you guys lost the cornerback in Tavon Young. Yeah. Season ending injury. We obviously got Marcus Peters with the one pick. You got Marlon Humphrey with the one pick, forcing a fumble, and then LJ Ford runs it in for a touchdown. But what in this secondary is most impressed you so far? I definitely, I mean, it's, I think it really is the two corners. I mean, that's the easy answer, but I do like what they do, what they're doing with Deshaun Elliott and Chuck Clark. There was a reason why they let go of Earl Thomas so easily, like they didn't even want to trade for him. Obviously, Earl Thomas is a great player and was solid for us last year. But there was a reason why they let him go without question, because they probably saw the potential in Chuck Clark and Deshaun Elliott. Again, both are fifth-round guys, late-round draft picks, and they see something in him. Like So I definitely think the two safeties are definitely an improvement back there with Clark and Elliott. I mean, the loss of Tavon Young hurts because I like him personally. Uh, he had a neck injury last year that missed the whole his whole second season. I was looking forward to him being like the, the nickel guy, swapped in with Jimmy Smith. Young's now out for the, the season, so Jimmy Smith will probably likely be the, the full-time nickel, maybe even play some safety if they want to do a three-safety set. But I really think for me, the easy answer is the corners, but the two safeties of Elliott and Clark have been really impressive for me so far in the first two games. Jimmy Smith has been on that team forever, I've got to tell yeah. you. been like the Iron Man and that Ravens secondary. Um, mm-hmm. I want to ask you about Patrick Queen. I know we talked about him a few moments ago, but – Remember, this is the Ravens' first-round pick right here. He's mm. the middle linebacker. He's calling plays out. What type of impact has he had on this defense? I think he's been fantastic the first two weeks, personally. Yeah, I, you know, it was Ray Lewis, the middleman, for a while. Then C.J. Mosley. They, they brought in C.J. Mosley um, to be their middle guy, and he was there for a couple of years. When he left for the Jets last year, you saw just a lot of questions of who can be that, that guy in the middle. Uh, Patrick Owansu, who I said at the time, uh, struggled a little bit, but was still pretty solid. But they needed to find someone who was a star at the middle linebacker spot. And Patrick Queen landed right in the Ravens' hands. I didn't think he'd stay that late, to be honest. Uh, I thought he'd be like one of the first linebackers taken next to Isaiah Simmons. But he's been made a huge impact on that defense right away, helping out solidify the middle linebacker spot. That was kind of the only glaring need heading into the draft where they needed to address right away. And he's made that impact right away. He has a, I think a couple sacks, maybe if one, if anything, but up on the like in the top three in tackles. But he's been overall excellent for this Ravens defense, and he's going to be the middleman for many years to come, I believe. And Matthew Judon too quietly, in my opinion, at least he quietly made the Pro Bowl last year with those yes. nine nine and a half sacks. Yes, is he the lead pass rusher now for you guys, or who do you think could emerge as that guy? I think I think Judon will be uh, will still be the the main pass rushing guy. Um, if we're looking, I think it probably most likely be him. Uh, if we look at uh, guys who get sacks, Clay's Campbell. I mean, you can't count him out there too. Uh, Derek Wolf, the guy who they got from the Broncos, again another guy who was on the tail end of his his career with the Broncos. The Ravens just brought him in. He's been looking very excellent for them. 
Uh, so I think, but I think the leading sack person who's leading the team in sacks in the year will probably be Matthew Judon. Calais Campbell could easily be a close second. Good point. And I mean, this pass rush though, I don't know if it's maybe as good as it was in years past, but it's still pretty good. I think they have a lot of guys that uh, they're, I believe I want to say their pass rush defense, they're around the sixth or seventh rank in the NFL. I was looking the numbers I, up yesterday. I believe so. Yeah, definitely in the top 10, like no question. Now, Tom, with that being said, staying on the defensive side of the ball, the Ravens obviously being ranked that high. You were actually correct. Sixth ranked pass defense and seventh ranked run defense for this Ravens team so far this season. How do they continue this momentum on defense uh, against such an elite quarterback, an elite scorer? and quarterback and Patrick Mahomes come week three. That's going to be, that is going to be a tough game. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Obviously the main thing you got to work on to worry about is Patrick Mahomes uh, because he obviously he can, he has a rocket of an arm. He can throw it down in the pocket. He also scrambles too, if need be. Uh, It's good. I'm confident because we have Humphrey and Peters who can definitely hold down Sammy Watkins and Tyree kill uh, to maybe, you know, buy some time for the pass rusher to get to Mahomes. But you're also going to need to have uh, Judon and Campbell, for example, to kind of contain the pocket to to make sure Mahomes, you know, yeah, he doesn't see anybody, but he has to stay there because he can't run anywhere. So it's going to be a combination of can the corners hold up the two receivers and can Campbell and Judon, for example, get to the pass rusher, uh, get to the quarterback in time in their pass rush. Good point. Good point. I, I think personally my keys to the game, got to contain Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Yeah, that's it. Well, that too. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm just saying the two receivers that they got to cover too, and that's yeah. that's even another thing too. That's why I wish we had Tavon Young to hold on to to yeah. keep with Clyde Edwards Hilaire. Tavon Young is like a very young, promising talent, so it's mm-hmm. definitely going to derail the secondary a little bit, I think, mm-hmm. but make it a little slower with Jimmy out there. But overall, I think uh, you guys could win the trenches. I mean, we'll find out who I'm picking in just a few moments, but. Uh, the Chiefs defense, they've been giving up nearly 450 yards per game as a mm-hmm. defense. So I think if the Ravens could exploit that and pressure Patrick Mahomes, I think they could potentially cover that three and a half point spread. Yeah, they, they need, I think, the, well, obviously, I think the Ravens need to score, but that Chiefs defense is, is vulnerable. We kind of saw that with the Chargers this past week uh, with the rookie quarterback and Herbert. So having uh, like Lamar and then that three-headed monster in the backfield. Uh, if you just keep running the ball, I think that's going to help them. And obviously they're, they're a little bit weak at the corner spot. So Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews could definitely, you know, expose that secondary. So I think they, I mean, obviously they got to score points and then, you know, they can let up a few points here and there, as long as like the Ravens can guarantee that they can score points with these against the chiefs defense. So let's pick this game. I'm going with Baltimore. Uh, I personally think they're hot right now. I was not very impressed with Kansas City's performance last week against the Chargers. They gave up a lot to Justin Herbert. Uh, I think Baltimore is a more complete team at the moment. I do think it'll be a high-scoring game, though. Mm-hmm. I want to say the Ravens win it 31-27. to 27. So that's my, that's my pick. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll with the Chiefs on this one. And actually, surprisingly, we talked about everything that the Chiefs are going to potentially be throwing at this Baltimore defense, except for one of the biggest threats, arguably the best tight end in football, and Travis yeah, Kelly. I, I just don't like that matchup for this uh, Ravens defense. Uh, and I think he's going to pull out a big edge against this Ravens team, you know, potentially get uh, potentially get a lot of receptions, potentially be Patrick Mahomes' security blanket in this game. 
I think they don't have a problem stopping the run in rookie Clyde Edwards Lair to have two fantastic corners, but that matchup against Travis Kelsey, I think is going to be a rough one for them come Sunday. And I'm going to go with the chiefs in this game. Give me, give me 35 to 30, give me 35, 30. You know, it's funny. I was I was actually going to go the exact same score, but in reverse. Ravens yeah. 35, uh, Chiefs 30. Listen, the Ravens need a straight-up score, obviously, a lot like and, and fast, too. But they can also – you know what? Not I want to say fast because you saw against the Texans in the last couple of drives, they ran like 12 plays and they were all running plays. Yeah. And they scored at the end. Like they just killed the clock. And they can easily do that with the Chiefs, too. Um have long drives, but guarantee that you're going to get not just a field goal, like a touchdown and the extra point. Uh, they, they definitely need to do that because the Chiefs defense is weak, but that Chiefs offense is powerful. As, as long as they, they can keep up with them on offense with the point scoring, I think the Ravens can get this victory. It'll be a high-scoring game, and it'll be a lot of a lot of fun. I got a quick question for both of you guys. Do you think this game is potentially better than Rams-Chiefs on Monday night a few seasons ago? Do you guys remember that game? Yeah. I think, it, I think it has the potential because I think that the defenses are better. It won't be an offensive blowout, an offensive shootout, even though 35-30 is a lot of points. Yeah, that game was like 50-40 or something. Compared to what the Rams defense and the Chiefs defense allowed in that game, I think it's going to be much better on defense, but definitely some high-scoring caliber offenses that are going to be thrown out on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So we do have a question from the comments quick before yes. – uh, we move on, but I mean, it, it kind of had a line for week two, but I mean, yeah, the, it's a fair question. Well, I mean, if we're, I mean, if it's, if, if it's the Chiefs right, this team right now yeah. and the Ravens right now, and say this was like January in the playoffs, so the teams, they exactly, they exactly the same right now, then I would say, yes, I think the Ravens have a very good shot to beat the Chiefs in the playoffs. Uh, obviously things can literally change and, and, 15, 16 weeks, an injury can happen. Someone could be on a hot streak out of nowhere. But if this was in January right now, I would definitely say the Ravens have the best chance to win. Uh, but anything can happen, though. I'm still, you know, being a realist, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I don't want to go out and say Super Bowl or bust 16-0. You can't stop us. So I want to wait a couple weeks until I go off with that. I agree with you. I definitely set the tone for a potential playoff matchup, even though it is early on in the season. Mm-hmm. Definitely a game to watch come Sunday. Definitely. So for the next five minutes, before we get to our quick picks, I just want to rant on the Jets quick. That was an embarrassing game. That was bad. They lost to the 49ers horrendously, 31-13. to 49ers now 7-1 on the road against the Jets. Obviously, they lost Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas to torn ACLs, which is huge. Uh, Raheem Mostert and Tevin Coleman out as well. Jimmy G with a high ankle sprain. Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and Richard Sherman all missed the game. It seems like everybody outside of Fred Warner has gotten hurt out of those big-name players they have. Uh, but a good old friend and Jarek McKinnon, a guy who, quite frankly, was supposed to be the guy in San yep. Francisco last year until he got hurt. Uh, what can he do now that he's the lead back there, guys, if in the near future? I think he has a legitimate chance here. Three rushes for 77 yards and a score last week. He could carry that momentum, especially against the Giants. Well, he's going to be their lead back, obviously. Uh, there's so many, lists, uh, so many names of what you had on that list, Tom, that got injured last week. Tevin Coleman as well, the backup running back, is hurt for them. So Jarek McKinnon is not only going to be their uh, lead rusher, potentially, come this Sunday, but also a great receiving option. Really wasn't a receiving threat in this past game against the Jets, but 
in his first game against the Cardinals, they went to him a lot to throw to. He could potentially be that dual threat on offense. And, you know, with a guy in Nick Mullins who is now starting in his maybe fourth, fifth game in the NFL, this is going to be the guy that you're going to potentially have to rely on considering the fact that you don't have anybody else at this point in time which might be comfortable enough to start in that offense and to really have trust and faith in uh, as an experienced player in this league. So Jarek McKinnon is potentially going to be that guy come Sunday to watch out for for the 49ers on offense. Agree with you 100%. Another guy is Jordan Reed. Great to see him back healthy, scoring two touchdowns against the Jets. And fun fact, guys, here it is, number two. A 49ers wide receiver has not scored a touchdown since January 11th, 2020, against Gabe Flayton's Minnesota Vikings. And on that note, here is Gabe Flayton. Uh, <laughs> Gabe, welcome to the show. And I didn't want to bring that stat up, but um, look, I had to. Uh, do you think the Jets could potentially draft Trevor Lawrence, number one overall? Uh, yes, and they should. Um, we've seen Darnold struggle Uh I don't think he has the the arm of a, you know, of a number 1 overall pick like Trevor Lawrence has. He can ch- Trevor Lawrence can change the game, but quite honestly, if you're the New York Jets, you have a lot more issues than just your quarterback. I would love to see Trevor Lawrence on the Jets, but uh they have a lot more issues, let's be honest. When Braxton Berrios is leading you in receptions, <laughs> that's a big problem. Yeah, 100%. I will give credit where credit is due though. Quinnen Williams is a great player. They had a good game. He had two sacks, I believe, against the San Francisco 49ers team. Not yeah. just him, but we talk about problems. I love him. Frank Gore, journeyman. He's your leading rusher. 21 attempts. 21 attempts for Frank Gore. Yeah. In 63 yards. That's just not a recipe for success. He sees more eight-man boxes than Ezekiel Elliott. Dude's yeah. a beast. <laughs> Gabe, has, you've been getting very graphic on the North Pole with your analysis. Yeah things very uh love that pro football focus man bringing a new flavor to resume preview sports um let's get into the into those quick picks uh you are wearing a jersey that is way too familiar with Fonz the falco it is uh vince young of the tennessee Titans. gabe flayton was the week two loser of our nfl quick picks (laughs) and which we will i will share our screen right now so you guys can see so, I don't know how well you guys can see that. No, I, I can see it pretty well. I can see it pretty well. Man, I missed this. Uh, I missed this. Uh, I missed this uh, little uh, spreadsheet you got over here. Now, look at this. Wow. So we're we're in a math class here, funds right now, and mm-hmm. we had to go to a triple tiebreaker this week because, yeah. as you can see, James is winning. Somehow, James just picks like all the random teams every week and just somehow. It's a crapshoot at this point. You know this. We know this, but the, this early in the in the year, though, too. Last year was like up to week eight. It was a crapshoot at that point. <laughs> but check this out, man. Uh, Kyle Russo won week two. Me and James and Gabe all tied for second. We went to our season record, and Gabe, who was the week one loser, had the worst record. So that's how we determined the week two quick picks loser. And Gabe. Flayton, um, your 0-2 Minnesota Vikings will be playing the Tennessee Titans this week, who are still in the mix. Uh, they're 2-0. That's why I brought that up. Uh, look, man, uh, I had to bring that up, Fonz. I'm sorry. Uh, it's all good. Uh, it's all good. They always will be 8-8, eight 9-7. Eight, they always will be. 
over right there. now they have a chance to go three and zero for the first time in a while. I think potentially 2008 when Kerry Collins was quarterback. The year they went 13 and three, they were the one seed in the AFC. What a different time it was. Kerry <laughs> uh, Collins, I've heard Gabe, <laughs> Gabe, um, your Minnesota Vikings, their defensive line gave up a hundred plus rushing yards to Jonathan Taylor, the first Colts rookie to rush for over a hundred yards since 2012. Uh, thoughts about that? Yeah, this is a defensive line that became offensive linemen in this football game. Uh, the Colts offensive line pushed them backwards, blocking their own linebackers. Uh, I was saying, you know, while watching the game, I was yelling at the the screen saying cut down on these offensive linemen. Just do yeah. something to make a mess in the middle and stop Jonathan Taylor from just gashing you in between the tackles. Uh, and now without Anthony Barr, their front seven is even weaker. Uh, Daniel Hunter isn't coming back to at least week four. Yannick Ngakwe hasn't panned out like we hoped he would. And our interior defensive line is young and inexperienced. Jonathan Taylor in really what was his uh, coming out party. We're talking now about matching up with Derrick Henry, who makes it really hard to uh, you know get him down under three yards a carry. I think if Jonathan Taylor was rushing for a Like Gabe froze up there. Yeah, lost him for a second. Let's see if we that can get him to back. continue. There you go. We got you. Sorry, you cut out there oh, yeah. for a second. But yeah, oh I yeah, I apologize. Time. My Wi-Fi is really bad. Uh, but uh, Cornwall. Yeah. Oh, it's it's awful out here. Spectrum <laughs> is is not great. Uh, but yeah, Derek Henry is going to have no problem rushing for four to five yards a carry. And the Vikings, who are in last in time of possession in the whole NFL right now. Uh, I could see them losing that possession battle and just losing this game really easily. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. Some people think Minnesota could pull it off, but Gabe, it seems like Kirk Cousins has been having way too much of that feeling vision 2020 this year. Uh, you yeah. brought up an interesting stat, how it takes approximately 18 yards of air time before the not well air yards for the ball to get to Adam Thielen's hands. That's just insane. What happens this week against Tennessee, man? I mean, I, I think t- Tennessee is going to control the tempo with their line, their running game. I mean, Fonz knows it last year in the playoffs, they did it to the Ravens with a, who have a pretty good defense. Yeah. They're probably going to do it to Minnesota. Well, Ryan Tannehill is a guy who loves to, sh- to, to throw the ball short. Uh, Minnesota, their coverage is, is really soft. Uh, whereas, on offense, their uh, their wide receivers, instead of getting separation, uh, they do, they don't get a lot of separation. So their corners get a lot of separation from the opposing team's receivers. They just don't have an offense that can score a lot of points right now. Weapons, they don't yeah. have a lot. I would say the Titans have a better uh, receiving core, and that's saying a lot because the Titans really don't have a, a receiving core that jumps out at you. But Minnesota, I mean, we have a, what the what was the Titans? TJ Sharp, he was the Titans, I think, second leading receiver last year. And yeah, TJ yeah. Sharp hasn't seen more than five snaps in a game this year in Minnesota. So, I mean, we really are weak right now at that position. Uh, and I've said it, I said it on my show. We utilize the two tight end set far too much for a team that doesn't give Dalvin Cook the ball. Uh, I think Derrick Henry has fifty six carries through two weeks. Dalvin Cook has just 26 carries 
and he's actually running the ball at four and a half yards a carry. So why he's not getting the ball more uh, is beyond me. And that's what Gary Kubiak has to do this week if we want to control the tempo of this game and have even the slightest hope of making this a competitive football game. You'd say the difference between Stefanski and Kubiak is a big part of the problem the first two weeks. Gary Kubiak's coordinating has not been great. Um, So, as you can see, Fonz, nobody has hit an upset through two weeks. Nobody. Mm -hmm. Even go back to week one. Nobody hit their upset there. We all hit our lock. We all picked the same team, the 49ers. It's been basically classic. Whoever plays against the Jets is who you pick as your lock. Sounds all right. Sounds all right. Uh, Gabe picked the Texans over your Ravens. That might have been the turning point. Uh, oh, come on, Gabe. You know better than that. And we all had the Saints. All look like fools uh, there. Those Vegas Raiders, man. What do you guys think? 2-0. John Gruden has his boys rolling. Josh Jacobs and Darren Waller. They took uh, Fitz's Patriots down and dirty on Monday Night Football. They just- they're a good football team. They're a good football team led by a great coach. You know, a lot of people when John Gruden came uh, under as the head coach of the uh, the Vegas Raiders, the Oakland Raiders prior, you know, everybody thought his first move was going to be getting rid of Derek Carr. They got rid of Khalil Mack. They got rid of Amari Cooper. And they became almost the laughing stock of the NFL. Yes, they were getting a lot of compensation back, but you were giving arguably the, the best uh, defensive player in the National Football League practically away for no other reason but the fact that you just didn't want to pay him. And Amari Cooper, yes, he became uh, a Butterfingers type of receiver uh, in Oakland two seasons, uh, uh, the last two seasons that he was with them, but still managed to scrap together a first-round pick from the Dallas Cowboys. And yeah. they cashed in, and one of the players in which they've cashed in on, Josh Jacobs, Josh Jacobs is taking over the league, quietly taking over the league as a running back and establishing himself. We saw him come on the come on the field last season. Absolutely incredible performance uh, with a team that really had no hopes. You know, considering where you saw the Raiders last season, obviously it could, um, the drama with Antonio Brown, there was really no high, high hopes for this Raiders team, but consistently got wins in the win column. And now you see them starting off the season to a very, uh, very good. I believe they're two. They are two and zero right now. A very solid 2-0 to the season, beating a solid Saints team. Yes, no Michael Thomas, but still a very good team led by a solid head coach and a solid quarterback. This team is definitely going to be a team to look out for in this AFC. Mm-hmm. Uh, Funs, I want to get to you here. The Falcons and the Cowboys, man. I had the Falcons upsetting the Cowboys. Uh, it almost came true. I just personally, Dak Prescott's been really good. He's one of the top quarterbacks these first couple of weeks outside of uh, – Russell Wilson and Josh Allen. I think he's been, um, you know, one of the top guys. What do you think of that game personally? The onside kick and just and everything. I don't know what is going on with the Falcons. I don't know what is up with them. There's such a it's so it's such a a mess that whole franchise. Dan Quinn needed to be gone like since week one of last season. But no, the Cowboys have been looking very uh, looking very good. I mean, they had a really good comeback to. Dak really has shown that he can be a capable starting quarterback uh, in this league. And you combine him with Ezekiel Elliott, CD Lamb, who's struggling a little bit, but he'll, he's only a rookie. It's only a second game. He'll get his, uh, he'll get his work in down the line. Malky, Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper. Um, always, you always still have Zach Warren and Tyron Smith at the offensive line. The Leighton Vander Earth injury hurts, but they still have a solid offense. Like uh, 
like at the skill positions, the offensive line, you, you can't count them out, especially with that, that crazy comeback. I know it's the it's the Falcons, but man, what like, I don't know what happened. That's Nuts. embarrassing. That's embarrassing. I'm just looking at all these games this week, guys, and like a lot of them were um, not upsets, but just like head scratchers because Philadelphia got absolutely mutilated at home to the Rams where somehow Tyler Higby catches three touchdowns. That made no sense to me personally either. Uh, Drew Locke and Cortland Sutton both getting hurt against the Steelers, but somehow Jeff Driscoll was able to keep them in the game late. Fonz, I know uh, you were probably hoping for that upset. Uh, crazy yeah. stuff this week in the NFL. It's football, man. You never know. <laughs> it's crazy. It's how it is is with the NFL, especially with no preseason and whatnot. Like, it's just football. But you never know. It's, it just anything can really happen, though. It goes to show you how important uh, preseason really is, guys. Um, you know, it's it shouldn't go overlooked because this year you're seeing all these injuries happen, like Christian McCaffrey, for instance, Saquon Barkley. We're going to see more of these guys go down, unfortunately. That's why you saw Devontae Freeman get signed last week, which is where I think the Giants are actually kind of lucky in a sense. As crazy as that might sound, guys are going to go down and there's not going to be as many guys available to sign. Uh the Cardinals are somehow 2-0. and Jacksonville has exploded onto the scene despite losing last week. They beat – they almost beat the Titans. They held on uh, crazy. The Titans won without A.J. Brown. But Minshew Mania, do you guys seriously think this could be a real deal type of thing? Are you guys bought into this Carter Minshew Mania? I am. I'm, I'm bought in 100% yeah. of that. And after that week one performance – I mean, yeah, they lost against the Titans. I'm, I am 100% in. He's a very good quarterback. Yeah. I said it on my show, uh, guys. Like, when Kirk Cousins throws multiple interceptions, instant loss. But when Gardner Minshew throws a couple interceptions, his team his team still has a great chance to win the game because he's a he's a big – he's a high-risk, high-reward quarterback. Uh, he takes chances, and a lot of them pay off, and he can come back. And you see it with the Jaguars. They can be down two touchdowns in the fourth quarter. With Minshew, any uh, you know, two touch, touchdown deficit can be a comeback. Other crazy stuff that happened this week, obviously the Chiefs with the overtime win against rookie Justin Herbert. Uh, the Patriots, Cam Newton seems to be adjusting quite well in this New England offense. Four rushing touchdowns in two weeks, guys. And I got to tell you something, Julian Edelman, like 175 receiving yards against the Seahawks. Jamal Adams made a funny comment. He's like, I finally got to beat the Patriots for once. You know, it feels good when you're used to losing your whole career. Kyle Russo, I know you know how that feels as a Giants fan. Oh, oh, okay. There, he finished that off nicely. Yes, I do, unfortunately, know how that feels. It's not a good feeling, but it's nice to see Cam in a, in a situation where the team knows how to use him properly. That was one of the biggest things in Carolina. They didn't protect him. Yes, he's putting his body on the line, but nowhere near the amount of times in which he was putting his body on the line uh, in a in a Panthers uniform. Yeah. So what do you guys think was the biggest takeaway from week two? Like, what was the biggest surprise and the biggest takeaway for you guys? I personally think that uh, Chiefs fourth-round pick, Legereus Sneed, with two interceptions in the first two weeks, he's really been fantastic in my eyes, and he's done a really good job for Kansas City starting now. So – 
My biggest surprise would have to definitely be Justin Herbert of the Chargers. Apparently, he, he spoke after the game, and he's like, yeah, co- head coach Anthony Lynn literally told me seconds before the game that I was going to be the starter. Uh, we all know what happened to Tyrod Taylor. Uh, not a good situation, but Justin Herbert getting the start and leading the majority of this game. Uh, granted, a, a few errant decisions and interception this game by Justin Herbert, but he's a rookie, but he definitely has that ability to be a starting quarterback in this league. And my biggest takeaway, guys, Russell Wilson is MVP level this season. I, I don't think there's any argument with that. He's playing on that type of level week in, week out. Yes, he has some weaponry, but he's just unbelievable this season so far. Absolutely incredible against quality teams nonetheless. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Aaron Jones, Green Bay Packers running back. I was writing him off on the week one show. I'm like, after seeing him play the Vikings, I'm like, why don't they just, why would they re-sign him, give him a big contract? He's in a contract year. Uh, Why not go with A.J. Dillon uh, with the cheap rookie contract who can give you nearly the same production? I was dead wrong in week two. Aaron Jones broke his career high in rushing with 158 yards, had a huge 75-yard touchdown run. He's a beast, and that backfield in Green Bay is no joke, and that offense in general is serious. For me, I'm going to go with uh, Kyler Murray and the Cardinals, a guy who I said, Tom, a while back that Kyler Murray would be a top-10 quarterback heading into the season. And you and a couple other people told me I was wrong about it, and I said, look, he's got DeAndre Hopkins. Kenyon Drake is a full season under his belt. Cliff Kingsbury is going to have another offseason with him. They're going to run that Oklahoma-style run and shoot offense that's going to work because the skill set of Kyler Murray and he's been playing on another level this uh this year and definitely a candidate for the MVP so far you've been right I think Josh Allen is a guy that could be on there as well Mm -hmm. Um, so I think it'll be very interesting but uh over the last couple of minutes of the show guys just going to show the screen one more time quickly we'll get to the week three quick picks so as you can see, all our picks are in. It's a little weird this year, guys, because um, let me remove that banner. Sorry, Fonz. Um, oh, good. We have to have our locks in before the show on Wednesday, but because of line changes, we're pushing our official deadline. Picks will still lock Thursday at 5, but we want to show something for the show. Um, and then Sunday up until 12, we have a chance to switch our lock or our upset if lines do change due to injury or other factors so jack gabe man taking miami against jacksonville and the giants against the 49ers going out with a bang already i like it i like it uh, i got nothing to lose at this point <laughs> <laughs> just like me that's what i did at that point too. Yeah. <laughs> just throw anybody out there and houston i don't know why i keep going with houston but i'm like it it's just gotta hit at some point right <laughs> we got the falcons and the bears surprisingly majority of us are picking the zero and two falcons to beat the two and oh bears i don't know mr biscuit's on a hot streak i don't know i might have to agree Fonz, Mitch Trubisky was a pro bowler in 2018. Yeah, he wasn't, wasn't, like, wasn't horrible. I mean, also they also replaced every quarterback in the NFC. Everyone opted out yeah, of it, so I don't think it's necessarily counting his. You know, this is me. But, I mean, he, that one year he was solid. You know, he, it was a one-time pro bowl event. Yeah. So this game here has potential to be game of the week. Rams at the Bills. This is going to be a lot of fun to watch. We are split down the middle. For me, it's just Buffalo being home and the Rams playing on the East Coast. That's pretty much my only argument there. And the fact that Josh Allen has been playing lights out, but I've got to tell you, 
first two weeks, Jared Goff has been playing lights out as well. Mm-hmm. That man has been balling out. He must have smacked himself across the face in the offseason or something because he looks really darn good. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cleveland, all over. Washington. Minnesota. Look, I'm the only one going Minnesota. And Gabe, I know you're – Gabe has given up on his own team. Come on. Yeah. It, Tennessee is just the Indianapolis Colts but better. So if they couldn't <laughs> beat the Colts, I don't know how they're going to beat the Titans. I, I think wanted, yeah. I wanted to go a little different because I think Cousins is going to have a better showing this week. I just think the fact that they were so bad the first two weeks, I don't I just you know, Fonz brings up something every year. The Titans go eight and eight, nine and seven. Sometimes they lose games that they shouldn't, and this could potentially be one of those games, a trap game, two and zero against zero and two. We'll see. And look, I wasn't too convinced with their three point win over Jacksonville, so we'll see. Bengals, Eagles down the middle. Gabe's the loner with Houston there. We all got New England over the two and zero Raiders. All got the Colts over the Jets. Chargers, Bucks, clean sweep. James has the Lions beating Arizona. That's funny. Matt It'll be a shootout. A It'll definitely player. be a shootout. Matt Stafford is not a bad you know, It could be a high-scoring game. It might come down yeah. to the wire, but and oh, man. have Kenny Galladay, guys. He's yeah. Kyler Murray's good. Kyler Murray's good with DeAndre yeah. Hopkins. That is a good <laughs> duo right there. Um, it's going to be tough, man. I think the Cardinals are going to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gabe as the Cowboys beating the Seahawks. Um, I hope you're wrong. Yeah, you never. I mean, it's one of those games that you might never know at this point. You know, Gabe's got nothing to lose, like he said. (laughs) But to make an argument in Gabe's favor here, I do think Dallas Dak Prescott has. You know, he's been playing really well these first couple of weeks. Uh, So we will see if Dallas can pull something off. And a lot of people are making an argument that Dallas, not too far off from being two and zero either uh, compared to 0-2. So it's just crazy how sometimes records and games change on a blink. Uh, We all have the Packers beating the Saints on the road, which is still technically an upset at this point. And then um, Ravens, Chiefs, Kyle, you're uh, the lone dog over there. Um, Don't hurt me. You hurt me, man. The Chiefs beat the the Ravens last year, and I'm telling you, that matchup of Travis Kelsey, I just don't. I don't see how they match up nicely. I know last year it was Earl. I believe it was Earl Thomas on the coverage. I just don't know who you trust on this defense to be on Travis Kelsey. Period. It was uh, Tony Jefferson and he tore his ACL. That's yeah. what it was early on. So that, yeah, that didn't. Yeah. But there's, there's an argument for you. Like I, I get it. You know, it's just, I don't know. I can't pick against the Ravens right now. I can't. They're on a hot <laughs> streak. They, I really can't pick against them. You can't see that 14 game win streak again now. Ah, uh, yeah. Right. Especially on a Monday night. Yeah. <laughs> There's our locks and our upsets, guys. Everyone has the Colts for their lock, except for Kyle. He has the Bucks. Everyone has Green Bay for their upsets, except for Kyle. He has the Chiefs. Why do you got to be uh, wild? Want to be different? Because if we all did the same, then it'd be boring. I know. Got a point. <laughs> My final statement before we close out the show, guys, and I want to get to the rest of you. Last year, Tremaine, Terrell, and Trey Edmonds of the Buffalo Bills all played in the same game together when the Bills beat the Steelers. That was the first time that's happened in an NFL game since 1930. I think you guys know where I'm getting at with this. Yes. Remarkably, it will happen again this week when all three Watt brothers will play in the same game when the Texans play the Steelers. Look at that. Now that's going to be – now that – 
that's that's awesome to think back to back years uh, with the Edmonds brothers and uh, the Watt brothers. And it's funny how it's the Steelers for both times. Yeah, crazy. Uh, Gabe Fonz, any uh, any final thoughts here before we uh, close out the show? And Kyle. Well, I'll just say uh, thank you so much for having me back on here. It's been a while. Um, looking forward to joining in down the line uh, for some more Ravens talks or uh, some Knicks talks when we get into the NBA season. But, yeah, love what you guys are doing. Uh, miss you guys, obviously, but we always uh, text once in a while. But thank you guys uh, so much for having me on here. Of course, not a problem. And, yeah, I'm uh, last note is just bet on the Titans this week with the house. I mean – it is a two-and-a-half-point spread. They are disrespecting Tennessee. These are my Titans now. You got to gotta go for them. <laughs> Kyle Russo? No, great show. Uh, Fon's great to have you back and Gabe as well. I want all of you to know and the rest of the Review and Preview fans that Friday, I just, we just confirmed this, I will be interviewing Eamon McEnany, the SNY reporter for the New York Mets, live on the Review and Preview sports page here. Uh, roughly around 4, 4.30, we're hoping for. We'll have a confirmed time at some point tomorrow or later tonight. Um, and then tune in tomorrow for the Big Blue Avenue, myself and Hank and Dichter. We will be interviewing a special guest, Caitlin Leonard. She is the host of the Bear Down Girl podcast. Gabe, thank you very much for finding her. She'll be on your show on Tuesday as well. North Pole, 6 to 7 p.m., same time, same place, right here. And the next week, we'll have JDF sports owner Kevin Fitz joining the show. Fonz, looking forward to having him on. Hope he's doing well. Mm -hmm. Thank you all very much, everybody. On behalf of uh, Gabe Flayton, Fonz DeFalco, Kyla Russo, I'm your host, Tom Scavetta, saying so long. You've been watching Review and Preview here on Facebook Live. Good night, everybody.